get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I was on the other side of this. I, I I didn't see why the Cardinals would break camp with him on the opening day roster because they've got outfield depth. They're going to use it. But if the best player, the best hitter on the team looks like it's this kid from Georgia, John Mozilla wants to win more than anybody else. He's going to break camp with this guy in the lineup. He's swinging his way into the Cardinals opening day lineup. That was Greg Amsinger earlier today on with the morning show alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN in about 10 minutes or so. We'll be joined by John Denton, Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com. Excited to talk with him about the subjects that we've covered for the vast majority of spring training so far. And that is the one, the only Jordan Walker trying to slug his way onto the opening day roster. Alex, we've attacked this from every possible angle, it seems like, so far, except for this one. What if all of these guys end up hitting well? Gorman, Donovan, Walker, Carlson, they're all hitting well so far at spring training. You don't believe me? Here are the OPSs so far for those respective players. Oh, yeah. Brendan Donovan, OPS of 1,056. (laughs) Jordan Walker, an OPS over 1,200. Dylan Carlson, an OPS of 935. He's been slugging finally over the last few games as well. Nolan Gorman, an OPS of 950. In fact, the only one that really hasn't performed admirably so far at spring training that is like battling for a roster spot, so to speak, is really Juan Yepes, who is batting 240 but hasn't had a whole lot of pop so far. So his OPS is around 600. If he adds a little bit more slugging to what he's done thus far, and again, super small sample size for all of these guys, Basically, everybody that is in this competition right now is hitting. In fact, you can even include Paul DeYoung, who has done this in nine at-bats. Let's not make too much of it. Has an OPS of 1,100 so yeah, far I in was, spring training. I was in until you brought that name in. BK Alex, doesn't believe in spring training, though. If all of these guys hit, Jordan Walker hits on, like, this otherworldly level, and then you look in the World Baseball Classic and O'Neill is at least fine and Newt Bar is at least fine and both of them have been so far. It's super early in those uh, in the World Baseball Classic. Then what? What does that mean if you get all positive returns, which is something none of us were accounting for going into spring training? And it means World Series. Who's stopping this offense when everybody's hitting? Tried to tell you guys. Probably turn this into a softball lineup where you just throw everybody in the uh, batting lineup and see if you can play 10 fielders. That would make the most sense, right? Yeah throw him out there in all reality this makes ollie's job easier slash much harder easier in the sense of i got a ton of dudes and it doesn't matter where i put them because everybody is going to be chomping at the bit to get an opportunity in the starting lineup 
harder on the sense of how do I get these bats in the lineup? But if they're able to perform off of the bench just as much as they're able to perform when they start, then that makes life so much easier for Ollie because then you're talking about rotations. And if you get into a spot where you feel like the splits work better in our favor, one player coming off the bench, another one jumping into the lineup, well, I could throw him in there off of the bench because I know he's able to perform. But in terms of competition for, let's say, starting outfield spots or starting second base spots or even the DH it gets harder because who is going to be able to start here? But I just make it a revolving door because the more at bats, the more reps throughout a season, the better my team's going to be when I've got 10, 12 dudes who can hit. Yeah. Talk about a great problem to have. And honestly, I don't even think Ollie's losing sleep over it because he would much rather have this than go, Oh, who's the guy that's got the OPS below 500 that we're going to put on the roster. lineup game, right? Like where you used to go, God, who in the bleep is hitting yeah. fifth in this lineup? And now you're like, man, I don't who's know hitting who hitting ninth on a day-to-day day so basis good. Ollie is putting into this lineup, but you like it. Now you're yeah. thinking, who the bleep is he going to hit fifth? Yeah. This is such a great problem to have, and it's so weird to say. I, I think you're looking at a possibility in which they do end up sending Walker down the minors if everybody ends up hitting. And honestly, he doesn't deserve to be in the minors or or. And, and honestly, I still would put Walker on this roster. Yepes, Yepes, you know he's a good hitter. He may be back in Memphis to start the season. There's going to be somebody that has had a good camp that probably starts the year in Memphis because they have to find a way to put somebody on this roster because they hit their way on the roster. And it might be Yepes that ends up being the odd man out. Or it could be Burleson, who's had a decent spring. He could be the odd man out. This is such a great problem to have for the St. Louis Cardinals, and I didn't expect to see this. I expected that, you know, somebody was going to come into spring in the, in the best shape of their life, and they were going to hit the ball well, but I figured there'd be somebody that was going to go through a cold spring. I remember last year, I think it was Tommy Edman had like one hit in all of spring training, and all the question marks were, ooh, I don't know, is Tommy Edman is he going to revert back to being kind of a bench player? Is he a guy that's really a starting second baseman? This year, there's literally been nobody outside of your backup catcher that's been put on spotlight because he's not hitting. Everybody else is hitting the baseball. Now, not to be Debbie Downer oh, or Buzz yeah, Killington yeah. here, but we always we always have this in spring training where there's one guy that's like dominating. And I know we're not talking about one guy. We're talking about multiple yeah. guys. But at what point do we sit here and, and say what BK believes, what I believe that it is just spring training. No, right now, like we should all be saying that. And this is where I go to the text line. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, slow it down. Pauly D lit it up in spring last year. Look at what he did during the regular season. Meanwhile, as Tanner mentioned, you had a really bad spring from Tommy Edmond. He ended up being very good for the Cardinals. Let's all relax. Paul DeYoung's like the ghost of Christmas past. Like it's always haunting me. I'm not telling you that any of this is going to translate to the regular season. I'm not. I promise you. What I am saying is that when these guys are all performing at an ex- incredibly high level right now, it makes it exceedingly difficult to base your decisions on the opening day roster on one guy not living up to expectations during the spring. Like if Jordan Walker just came in and this would have been totally reasonable for it to be the case. If he came in in the spring and was overmatched by some of the major league pitching that he saw, you would have said, hey, it's spring training. This is not anything worth setting off alarm bells about but he needs to go down to triple a to start the season and you let him get some seasoning maybe may you see him up in the big leagues that would have been no problem just would have been an obvious easy explanation as to why he's being sent down if dylan carlson 
looked the way that he did at the end of last year again and was not hitting for any power, was looking overmatched against right-handed pitching, would have been very easy to say, okay, Carlson lost his job in spring training, and we'll see how this thing works itself out during the regular season. When you have everybody hitting this way, including Donovan and Gorman, who are like tangentially related to the outfield battle because one of them is likely to end up in that DH spot as well, which take up takes up a position for one of those outfielders day to day. It makes it really hard to base things on spring training because nobody fell back. In fact, the only guy that's really just not hitting at all. And it's amazing that we're not talking about it because of how many people are is Wilson Contreras, who's been terrible at the plate so far in spring training. You should not worry about that. Wilson Contreras is going to be fine. It's just because so many other guys have been successfully hitting in spring training, we don't have to pay attention to that right now. So I say all of that to say this. I do wonder if the Cardinals say, you know what? All of the guys we were hoping would be successful have been. Juan Yepes, you're going down to AAA because you haven't hit so far during spring. Alec Burleson, you're going down to AAA because you haven't hit so far during spring. And we're just going to make our major league roster the best possible. And if that means Jordan Walker plays five out of the seven days a week instead of six of the seven, so be it. If that means Brendan Donovan starts five games, fine. We'll start the year and there will be guys that get days off that normally would have started every day for us. And we'll make it work. Tommy Edmond, instead of starting 155 games this year, you're going to start 140. I think that might be something that this manager is okay with. And it's a very different way of going about the regular season than what we've seen in years past. I'm glad you mentioned that the part of, you know, Walker maybe playing five or seven days because it made me think, you know, in years past, it was, it would have been, okay, we're going to play the guys that are hitting. And it was like, okay, well, where are you going to put them? It's more of like what uh, we used to say with the Matheny lineups where it's a bunch of band of misfit toys and they just have to put a hot bat in the lineup where you got Matt Adams playing in left field. They don't have that. Everybody on this team that's hitting right now has shown they're pretty good defensively. So it's not like you're losing a step by putting, say, I don't know, Jordan Walker in right field instead of left field. It's not like uh, putting Brendan Donovan in the outfield would be a major step back for this team because we saw him play the outfield last year. He was pretty good on it. Everybody that is on the roster right now that is hitting is good enough defensively to where you don't feel bad about putting them at a position. It's interesting because I started this training or spring training looking at it as saying the most intriguing part was all of the offense and how these guys were going to perform. Now I feel like I'm at the point where I look at it and I say, the offense is going to be fine. Position players are going to figure themselves out. Now I got to figure out what the hell's going on with pitching because you know what the rotation looks like. But now you're also looking at it saying, how the hell is this bullpen going to work? Because I came into this thinking two guys wouldn't be a massive piece of it who now look like they should be a big piece of it and other guys that have not lived up to the expectations that should be in it. That's where the real competition is. Like for as much as we've talked about the outfield slash the DH spot and even brought up the second base position. And I think those are all real competitions in terms of like guys are battling for, for playing time. I think the spot where we should be talking about the roster changing its complexion is probably more in the bullpen. I want to spend a lot of time on that throughout the day to day because Greg Gamsinger uh, said something that was just wild earlier this morning on Paul with the Goldschmidt's morning show. The, the eighth best first baseman in Major League Baseball. I love Greg Hamsinger. Greg saying something crazy. No. He is one of my favorite people to listen to. 
he was wild in this morning of, uh, on with Carrie and Brooke. Feisty. I'm very curious to hear what the reaction is from the text line to this one. So we'll get into that a little bit later on today. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues are making a significant change to their lineup tonight. We'll discuss that Martin and what Ferk. it means long term for them. But coming up next, John Denton is one of our favorites to talk to. He's the Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com. He's been all over this Jordan Walker storyline has he really slugged his way onto the opening day roster? We'll talk to Denton about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com. He's John Denton joining us here on the show. He's been all over the Cardinals throughout spring training. John, we appreciate the time as always, man. How is sunny Florida treating you today? Oh, it's great. It's great. You know, it's good to see the sunshine. Uh, it's been a exceptionally hot uh, spring down here so far, uh, we had one day in the upper 50s, and then since then it's been the upper 80s, 90s every day. So it's been a it's been a hot spring, uh, definitely in Jupiter. Oh, upper 50s, John. That's what uh, we live every day here in St. Louis still. So <laughs> do you can't know wait what I you would come give home? for upper 50s right now? <laughs> we were stuck in would. the 40s all week this week, I think John. It's supposed so. to snow later on today. Yeah. Oh. Good. Well, we, we are feeling bad for you guys. Uh, trust me. Uh, we, we do have a special place in our heart for you right now. <laughs> As I, I, we put on our sunblock. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you having us in your uh, your thoughts and your prayers today, John. All right, let's get into these, these Cardinals storylines. Everything starts with one player. You know where we're going with this. It's Jordan Walker, who's just been on a tear so far throughout spring training. John, can you put in, in this into context for us? Like, What are we watching with Jordan Walker right now and the performance that we're seeing out of him in spring training? Well, I mean, it's it's like 2001 Albert Pujols all over again. Like, you know, you, you, he comes in, you expect him, okay, there's going to be growing pains, and then there's not. Uh, he has a great day, and you expect, okay, well, tomorrow will be a bad day, and it's not. And you expect him to slip and fall in the outfield or to drop a ball, and he doesn't. Like, like I said the other day, I mean, he was talking about Garrett Cole. He said, uh, you know, uh, uh, amazing fastball, hell of a pitcher. And he stopped and he apologized because he said a cuss word while the cameras were rolling. And, you know, literally that was the first mistake he's made all camp. Uh, It's like this guy was built in a lab somewhere. Uh, You know, he's 6'5", 250. His his father went to MIT. His mother went to Harvard. His mother got her uh, master's at, at Washington University. Uh, he had 3.9 GPA in high school. He had an offer to Duke. Uh, his his nickname in high school, to put it in perspective, was the resume because there, <laughs> there's nothing he doesn't have. You know, he's built like a tight end, and he hits, hits like Albert Pujols. It's it's uh, you know, and some you know people will say, well, it's just spring training. He turned on a 97 mile hour fastball from Garrett Cole yesterday. Garrett Cole's as good as there is in baseball, and you know Garrett Cole said that was the best swing of the day, the one he saw from from Jordan Walker yesterday. So, you know, it's it's not hyperbole. The kid is really just this good. 
So if that's the case, John, I mean, you speaking all of that sounds like it should be written in pen that he's going to be a part of this opening day roster. And of course, that still remains to be seen. But if he is, he's going to be playing. How is that going to work out with the other outfielders, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, uh, I've been trying to do the math in my head. So if you have seven days a week and you have three outfield spots, that's 21 spots. If you have four, if you have a, a DH spot, that makes it 28 spots. Can you keep four guys happy with 28 spots? Well, we all know that's not going to be 28 because Wilson Contreras is going to DH a couple days a week, and Goldie and Arenado are going to need to DH every now and then, and you've got to get Nolan Gorman in the lineup somehow, and that's that's probably going to be through the DH. You know, are are you going to be able to keep four guys happy? And you know, there, there's going to be some ruffled feelings. There's going to there's going to have to be some hard conversations. But, you know, if you've had to pin me down right now today, I think Jordan Walker's a starting left fielder on opening day, March 30th against the Blue Jays. And I think you're going to have to tell Lars Newtbar and Dylan Carlson that they're going to be a platoon. Uh, you know, I, I, the way it looks right now, I would guess that Tyler O'Neill will probably be the starting center fielder. Lars Newtbar deserves to be a starter, uh, you know, with the way he's played this spring, the way he played last season. Dylan Carlson was serious about his approach and he's stronger this year and he's hit the ball better but you know you just you can't tell this kid no he's you know it, it the talent is too undeniable to send him down and I, I really think he's going to be the opening day starter and and you're just going to have to have some hard conversations with those other guys in the outfield so john our conversation that we had in the open was basically like at some point you just say we're going to take our best team into opening day and we'll figure out how to make this thing work and I've said this previously, and I think we've maybe talked about this, John, off the air. Is like, I think Ollie Marmol is uniquely qualified to be in position to make this work. He's not afraid to have those conversations that you were just discussing, and he's also not afraid to have a dynamic lineup where against a right-handed pitcher it looks one way, against a left-handed pitcher it looks something completely differently. He's talking to his performance department all the time, where he's saying, "Hey." How do we get the most out of these guys? When do we need to get them a day at DH? When do we need to get them a day completely away from baseball where they're just sitting in the dugout next to me? Do you think that there is a scenario in which the Cardinals go into opening day with all of these guys on the roster? They've got Walker. They've got Yepes. They've got Gorman. They've got Donovan. They've got everybody that we've talked about all offseason competing for these spots. And then they just figure out a way to make it work playing time wise. Yeah, I think, you know, I think if Ali proved anything last year that he's going to let the numbers dictate this, he's not going to be a guy who's set in his ways. He's not going to be a guy who's beholden to veteran players, you know, as much as as great as Tony La Russa was, oftentimes I thought he deferred to veterans too much. Ali's not that way. Like if a young kid's swinging the bat well, if a young kid has great numbers against a certain guy, righty, lefty, high fastball, low fastball, he's going to play the guy. And, you know, know, we saw that last year. I mean, Oliver Marmol, 36 years old, youngest manager in in baseball, pinch hit Albert Pujols last year for Nolan Gorman. Like, that's unheard of. But the numbers told him to do that at the time. And, you know, at the time when Albert was struggling, he did it. The guy's not afraid to have tough conversations. And, you know, if he has to sit, you know, a couple of those outfielders down and say, look, this is the way it's going to be now, he'll he'll do it. Uh, You know, I think he's, he's definitely prepared for that. And, at the end of the day, it's about getting the, the best lineup on the field. And right now, there's you know there, nobody would deny that Jordan Walker is not a part of the Cardinals' best lineup. 
John, a lot of people are talking about this outfield competition, but man, the other one is second base between Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman and Nolan Gorman has shown the defense. Brendan Donovan has shown the power. How do you feel like that competition plays itself out? <laughs> yeah, that's that one. That one is a little bit of a surprise. You know, we knew coming in the outfield was going to be a heck of a, you know, a heck of a competition. And, and, and they have all these left-handers that are basically competing for two spots, but the second base competition is, it has really, you know, really taken off, and and it's because Nolan Gorman has come back a different player. Like his swing looks so much better. He's getting to the high fastball. He's fouling it off, and he's making people pay. And you know, they want to get his his bat in the lineup. You know, left-handers with pop are going to play. They play in this league, and they're looking for ways to get him in the lineup. There's a reason that he started at third base yesterday, and that's so that. You know, he can be ready to play that spot on days when Nolan, Nolan are not on either day off. He, he, he's shown an improved glove at, at second base. And, you know, we all know that that that, uh, that Donnie could play anywhere on the field. You know, won a gold glove last year. The, the first rookie in Cardinals history to win a gold glove. He did it as a utility player. Uh, Brenda Donovan, you know, he went in the lab this offseason. He learned how to increase his bat speed without, you know, swinging from his heels. He had a ball yesterday. It was just an absolute bomb. Uh, he's got three home runs so far. He's bigger through the chest. He put on weight. He put on muscle. Uh, that that's that's a heck of a heck of a battle. I, you know, if I have to give an edge, I, I think it's Brendan Donovan because the Cardinals trust his glove. But they're going to get Nolan Gorman in the lineup somehow, some way. He's probably going to play at least four days a week because he has that lefty pop. John Denton is our guest. You can find his work over at cardinals.com. It's excellent work. He's also got a video up right now over that you can follow him on Twitter at John Denton555 to find it with uh, the, the sensation Jordan Walker talking about what this spring has been like so far for him. Uh, John, I did want to ask you a little bit about the pitching because as much as the offense is a lot of fun to talk about and they've had nothing but positive returns on that side of things, there's also a competition going on, especially in the bullpen right now, for roles for this team going into the season. Who is it that's emerged to you so far during this spring? We know the guys at the back end that are going to be there, but for the middle innings, is there anybody that stood out to you with what you've seen so far? Well, Jake, what Jake Woodford has done is is undeniable. You know, Jake has, Jake has kind of been that man with, uh, man with no country for a long time. He's had no role. He didn't know if he was going to be at Memphis or St. Louis, but you know, he's pitched nine innings so far over three games, and he's given up one earned run. Uh, four innings yesterday against the, the high-powered, basically the opening day roster of the Yankees. Jake goes out there. He's got a dozen friends and family in the crowd because he's from Tampa. He goes out there and gives up three hits. Uh, got two good ground balls, double play balls from Harrison Bader and Anthony Rizzo. His one strikeout was a, was of Aaron Judge. Uh, you know that that's heady stuff right there. And you know Jake is is making a case to be that long man. Now, of course, he's in a battle with Matthew Libertor. He's in a battle with Dakota Hudson. It'll be interesting to see how Dakota does today, uh, his first start of, of spring. He's worked in relief so far, but today's his first start. Uh, you know, uh, Zach Thompson, another guy who came back, he, the, he really added to his velo last season. It's back again this season. He's at 96-97. Uh, I, I think Zach's going to be a, a high-leverage guy who can step in there and handle some of those bridge innings to you know to get you to the back half of the bullpen with ryan helsley but uh yeah zach zach has been another one that's popped and hey andre palante the kid was a sensation last year he's added a couple miles an hour to his velocity 
He had a great two-inning stint yesterday for Italy. They, ups, they upset uh, Cuba yesterday. Uh, so Andre Pallante, Zach Thompson, and, and Jake Woodford have been three names that have really, really popped so far. I'm glad you brought up Zach Thompson, John, because the left side of that bullpen seems to be the biggest conundrum for me, wondering how that's going to pan out. Zach Thompson does seem to be in the lead, but when you look at the other lefty options, who do you feel like is competing and who do you feel like is kind of edging out in front? You know, I, I really think deep down that Ali Marmol and, and the pitching staff, they want Genesis Cabrera to be that guy. They just don't know if they can, you know, totally trust him. And he, he's pitched well so far, but, you know, uh, he has a way of, of kind of losing it. And, and his velocity comes and goes. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think sometimes they wonder about, about his preparation. And, you know, if, if they could get to Genesis Cabrera from the first half of last season, they would take that any day, every day, all day. You know, he was one of their best pitchers, starters or relievers last year in the first half. Then he had the four in and out in at Wrigley where he was phenomenal and he had a case of COVID. Well, since then, he hasn't been the same pitcher. So, you know, the question is, are they going to get Genesis Cabrera from the first half of last season? Or are they going to get the second half? Uh, and, you know, Zach, Zach Thompson has a, a chance of, of taking over that role because, you know, for, in a matter of a two-year span, Zach Thompson went from like a 92-93 mile-an-hour guy to a 96-97 mile-an-hour guy. And it's, I really think he's pushing his way into higher leverage situations. John, final question. We'll get you out of here on this. We appreciate the time as always. Is there any other maybe under-the-radar story that we didn't ask you about that you've found interesting, whether it's in the recent days or just throughout spring training so far from the Cardinals? Well, I, you know, with 17 players gone, the Cardinals have, you know, the most 17, uh, most, most in the MLB people playing in uh, the World Baseball Classic. We've started, you know, now kind of delving into backup roles and things like that. And, you know, the backup catcher role is is one that I find very interesting. You know, the days of Yadier Molina catching 135, 140 games a, a season are over. And, you know, if you look at Wilson Contreras, I think he's caught more than 100 games twice or three times in his career. You know, he's going to be a 115, 120-game catcher uh, a season. So they're going to need a better backup. And, you know, Ali Marmol has said they want more out of that position. And Trace Barrera has been a guy that's really caught their eye. The way he handles pitchers, the way he frames pitches, he's really caught their eye. Uh, pitchers love Andrew Kisner, but Kisner has to hit better. You know, Kisner had, he, in his own words the other day, he said he had two great months and he had maybe two of the worst months of any catcher in baseball, you know, where he hit less than 100. So, Kiz is in a battle. You know, they, they, the Cardinals could have easily said this is Kisner's job, but they, they haven't done that. They've thrown it out for, for you know, for, for a competition. And, you know, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out because Miles Michaelis loves Kisner. All the pitchers love throwing to Kisner. But they, they're looking for a guy who can bring more with the bat. So I think that's kind of an under-the-radar competition that's going on right now. He's John Din. You can find his work over at Cardinals.com. He's doing a fantastic job covering the team, keeping us all apprised of what's taking place down in Jupiter throughout spring training. John, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself down there in the warm weather. We won't hold it against you, and we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care and stay warm. Absolutely. Same to you. That is John Denton, Cardinals beat writer for Cardinals.com. You can follow him, of course, on Twitter at John Denton 555. Alex, it's really hard not to get excited about this Cardinals offense. I am not going to lie to you. It Every time that you talk to somebody that is around the team or every time that we think conceptually about what it could look like this year, 
I said in the offseason, and it felt like a hot take to a lot of people, I think this Cardinals offense is going to be top five in Major League Baseball, and I think they have the potential to be the best in Major League Baseball. I no longer even think that's necessarily a controversial opinion. After what we've seen from them, again, it's spring training. Let's not get way too far out of our over our skis. I think a lot of Cardinals fans are probably on board with that thought process now after thinking about what it could look like with so many different options staying fresh throughout the course of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very long time since I can remember a Cardinals team having this much depth in terms of this much options for a manager to use. Probably 2013 was the last time that we've seen this kind of depth for a Cardinals roster. 2013, 2011 when they won to where you had multiple guys that you were like, dang, they could use all of these players in the starting lineup. And I would say the difference between this and that was that was developed throughout the season. That felt more like last year where guys just kind of emerged and it was like, wait, well, hold on. Look at all these options. But I do feel like that's going to be this season where guys emerge. Like you're going to see certain players come up that aren't starting the season with the team that come up from Memphis and you're like, where the hell did this guy come from? But the difference this year is in, I think this is where the comp goes to 2013 is that we know a lot of those guys already. Yeah. Like we saw them last year, get their feet wet. And now it's like, Oh, Brendan Donovan. Of course that guy's really good. He's going to start a lot for the Cardinals. Oh, Juan Yepes. Yeah, of course he was the guy that hit the home run in the biggest possible moment in game one of the postseason for them last year. Now he's going to be a part of our everyday roster. Potentially I'll, I'll say and that you've got Jordan Walker coming up. I'll say this. And I think the fast lane talked about this earlier this week, by the way, one other thing, maybe Carlos Beltran is Wilson Contreras. Maybe that's the comp that we've been missing where he's like the guy that makes the, he's the, the straw that stirs the drink. I loved me some Carlos Beltran. He's awesome. Trade deadline is going to be about as intriguing as it's been for the Cardinals in a long time because of all of these options. Because if you've got five, six, seven dudes that deserve to be in the lineup that you can't find spots for because your lineup's already contributing, you're going to find your way to get your elite pitcher slash elite bullpen arm to set you over the top. So I'm, I know we're not even starting with the season yet, and it's ridiculous to be talking about July. That's no, okay. I already want Matthew Boyd from the Tigers. But the end of July, beginning of August. Set your sights a little higher, yeah. man. Come on, man. That's oh, who you're sorry. going for? Sorry. Jesus, I'm thinking Shohei I, I, and Trout. I'm saying Boyd because Flaherty's going to be healthy. Shane Bieber. Shane Bieber's yeah. oh, going to be a Cardinal. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait. Like, you're going, to find, you're going to have the assets, whether or not they do it, you're going to have the assets to acquire that starting pitcher that sets you over the top this season. Yeah, I can't remember the last time they had a lineup this deep. I, I, To your point there on the deadline, I don't even know if they move any of these pieces because it's such a great problem to have if you've got 13 position players that are just hitting the hell out of the baseball and you're just rotating them in and out of your lineup. I mean, you're talking about a lineup. We, we talked about it, I feel like, since we have been together as a show where it was always, man, the Cardinals, once you get past like five, it's just like easy outs. It's like cupcakes, basically. And honestly, there was a whole lot of fear in that fifth spot for some time, too. Now you're looking at a lineup tour. I, I think by the time we end the first month of the season, you're going to hear teams when we have like our boy Jim Hickey on the show, who's the pitching coach for the Washington Nationals. He was amazed by the lineup last year. They're going to be even more amazed. They're going to go, holy bleep, there's not one guy that you can get out one through nine unless they're thrown to their backup catcher. But even then, hopefully you're getting some production from them as well. Okay, let's not get too excited. And so many of them are cost-controlled. They're young. They're on those cheap contracts. And this is where you can get really excited about, all right, what does that allow you to do in the offseason? Or what does that allow you to do at the deadline? 
if you've got Jordan Walker hitting and Nolan Gorman and Dylan Carlson and Lars Newtbar and Mason Wynn by the end of the season maybe becomes a part of this. He's a guy that's like been buried in the headlines despite the fact that he has an OPS about of, of a thousand so far in spring training as well. And that's supposed to be the weakness in his game is hitting. There are so many options that are presenting themselves to the Cardinals that whether it be a trade or a free agent option, a lot of things start to open up as possibilities for the Cardinals here in the not too distant future. Matthew Boyd. That's who you're setting your God. sights on? It's because Flaherty's going to be healthy, and Boyd's doing, a great man? left-handed option to be as your number like 3-4 starter. In 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, what do we all want to see from Pavel Buchnevich if this move to center is legit? We'll talk about it next Matthew year on 101 Boyd. ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The St. Louis Blues back in action tonight against the San Jose Sharks. And Alex, they're going to be in action with a different look to the lineup. Your top line at morning skate today, according to Luke Horak, was as follows. Robert Thomas at center. Jordan Cairo at right wing. Alexei Toropchenko on the left side. The torpedo. Should play beat the... No, what is our game? Guess the Lions. Guess the, the Lions. Blues? No, guess the Lions. Oh, we are playing say. Beat the Blues. Coming up at uh, 1.30 today. Yeah, that's on, right. BK and Ferrari. You can try and beat Tori Krug. Texas, 314-399-9646. In about an hour and a half. If you do that, then <laughs> we'll get you no, in on the game. Now. No, we'll, you can text in. Yeah. yeah. T-Bone will that's log true. the numbers. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, your third line today. Braden Shin is centering it with Brandon Saad on one side and Sammy Blay on the other. Why'd you skip the second line, BK? Because Pavel Bleepin Buchnevich is playing at center, and his two wingers are Jakub Vrana and Kasperi Kapanen. Hot damn. Let's go, boys. Hit the sounder, T-Bone. This is going to be interesting to watch. If you remember Doug Armstrong when we went, met with him on Friday at the Centene Community Ice Center, Alex, he said this about the possibility of seeing Buchnevich at center. Is Bucci maybe a, a top six center? And he said it's not out of the question. So, again, if you put Bucci there, Thomas and Buchnevich, then you have Cairo and Kapanen, and let's say you have Saad and Verana, then you then you have Jake and you have Schenner. Gives them some options. I, I would say before last night's game, I was 
dead set on it being a center. Now I'm not quite as, as uh, saying it has to be, but I think we're going to be looking ideally at a centerman, but I think that if we have to get creative, we can. This is the kind of thing you can do when you are out of the race entirely for the postseason. Would Pavel Buchnevich have been playing center for the Blues this far into the season if they were still competing? No, absolutely not. But you might as well find out. He looked good in his very limited action a few nights ago uh, playing at center. He was super engaged. We know he can do it defensively. He's an excellent passer. The question is, can he make it work on the dot? I have real questions about that. My guess is the answer is no. It will not work out long term. And this offseason, their top priority when they get into free agency is finding somebody who can really be established and take over that role as your third line center. That being said, Alex, we said this off air the other day. I don't think you were going to be able to evaluate your new players on a line with Logan Brown. I, I just don't think it would have been fair to those two guys, Vrana and Kapanen to put them on a line with Logan Brown because he, he wasn't giving you enough to really get a good look at them with Buchnevich. I think you might, you might be able to, cause at a minimum, we know he's a good forward. Even if he struggles on the faceoff dot from the center position, what are you looking for from him in this potential tryout role? You know, I'm not even worried about his faceoff win loss numbers after this game tonight. And frankly, the rest of the season, I'm not really going to be worried about that. I'm worried how he looks at the center position because one comment that Doug Armstrong made that we didn't have in the audio, but he made it to Jeremy Rutherford was saying Booch in that game. And if you remember correctly, it was the San Jose Sharks victory where they lost Thomas and Levo in the game second period so Buchnevich had to play center and he had four assists on the four goals that were scored and Doug Armstrong said Buchnevich commanded the center of the ice the reason and let's also not overlook the fact that it's not Booch playing center on the third line it's Booch playing center in the top six yeah. that tells you something right there of what they believe Buchnevich can do Logan Brown exits from the lineup because of his inability to play defense in that previous game where he just let Leighton Keller skate through. Now, it's not just him, a couple of other guys, but still the center man on the ice is the one that's in charge of both ends of the ice. And Buchnevich is just as good of a defender as he is as a offensive force. You know, he's the best penalty killer in Blues franchise history, BK. I believe that to be true. That's how you label him. So what I'm watching for with Pavel Buchnevich. I went for the, back through the tape to find that out. Did you? Mm-hmm. you, you did you gloss over the Brendan Shanahan? The 70s were a little tough to watch, but, you know, I thought they were pretty fun. Did you gloss over Brendan Shanahan? No, I watched them. Oh, okay. Just Booch is better. Yeah. Okay, cool. Hall of Famer coming, ladies and gentlemen. Number 89, Pavel Bleepin' Buchnevich. That's right. BK Retire the number right now, there. honestly. 89? First one to get it while he's still playing. That'd be impressive. I would love to see that. Pavel Buch. They'll just put Booch on the, on the banner. <laughs> B-O-O-C-H. That's not right. B-U-C-H. I, I, I want to see him command the center of the ice continuously. Does he create offense solely with the puck on his stick being the center? Can he defend the top of the blue line when the defensemen push in? Because that's what the Blues want. They want their defensemen to jump into the rush. Can you be responsible enough to watch the blue line just as much as you're trying to create offense? So him playing with Verona and Kapanen tonight tells me exactly what the Blues are looking for. They want a center who can be... 200 foot type of player and that's what they're hoping for and i don't think i don't have questions if he can do that i i think booch will be able to do that i think he's gonna be a playmaker mine is the face-offs i'm with bk i have serious concerns because i know we asked i think it was jr if i remember correctly yesterday or two days ago um you know can you be a centerman if you're not winning face-offs and jr said probably not and and i would agree with that if you can't win face-offs and you're not good on the dot 
you you should be a winger because it, then you're losing those faceoffs and it, it can hurt you when you're in the offensive zone, defensive zone. That's the number one thing I have a focus on. I think he can do all the other aspects of being a center. It's just faceoffs. Can he win faceoffs? And if not, I think you have to push him back out to wing. And I will say, like I, I am kind of with Alex on this part of that equation. I'm not evaluating him on that tonight. Because he, he's going to be bad. Like, I can tell you right now, I know what it looks like when Pavel Buchnevich takes uh, faceoffs. It, it goes poorly. It's about over the rest of the season, if they continue putting him at center, does he improve? Like, does he go from being a 25% faceoff winner right now in his career to winning like 40% of the time? I'm not expecting him to be good at it. I don't need him to be good. Can he be competent? Can he be a guy that when he gets into the faceoff circle he's not just getting destroyed every time that he goes out there. If you can do that and he makes up for the lack of face-off wins with the rest of his game, um, offensively, defensively, just in neutrals or whatever, I'm fine with him being a center. He's just got to start. We've got to see from what he looks like tonight to what he looks like at the end of the season in that 19-game stretch if they continue with this experiment. And I, honestly, I think they should. What does that look like in terms of the progress on face-offs. Yeah. That's what I want to And watch. that progress, uh, I believe, if they look at him as a center, is going to lead into the offseason of working <clears throat> Excuse me, with Steve Ott. <clears throat> and then that's going to carry over into training camp. And that's going to carry over into the preseason. If they're buying into him being center, which all signs pointing towards them doing that, the face-offs for the rest of the season, you're right, BK. I want to see it incrementally increase. But I'm not looking for him to be a 70% winner by the end of the season. If he's still winning 40% by the end of the season, I'm going to look at that and say, how's he producing offensively? The matter of the fact is you've scored 14 goals in your last eight losses. Craig Berube is not worried about face-offs. Craig Berube is about, about, worried about creating offense. Jordan Kyrou really has not been producing offensively. Robert Thomas hasn't been producing offensively. Frankly, nobody's been producing offensively other than Booch. They're putting Booch at center so they can start getting everyone else going offensively. We'll worry about the face-offs down the road. Right now, we need to create offense for our forwards. I will also be super curious to see what they do on the road. Because it's one thing to have them at center where you can kind of dictate the matchups That's at home. Point. I wonder if they say, you know what, we're just going to do this at home for now, so that way we can we can put him in situations where we think he's going to be successful at center. And then when they go on the road, like this weekend, Tanner will be in attendance. He'll be uh, at the Battle of the Blue against the Columbus He'll Blue Jackets. On the Blue Jackets. What do you do there? You, you, maybe you do push him back out to wing. I, I don't know what that's going to end up looking like, but I could see early on, especially where three of the next four are at home. Maybe that's where you you try to figure out, okay, what does this look like? If we use him situationally at center, does does that work out better for us? We can prevent him from having to go out there, especially defensive neutral or defensive zone face-off, stuff like that. You, you can make it a little more advantageous for Pavel Buchnevich. So I, I'm fascinated to see what it looks like. It is one of the things that we were wondering if we would see in a game-type environment. For them to do it this quickly, I think, tells you they're at least curious. They're, they're at least curious to see what it ends up looking like. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for 2023 with number 14 on the list. Some thought going into the offseason, the single most important Cardinals player at a specific position, he's at number 14 on our list because of all of the other stuff that's happened around him. We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 
399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 399-9646 is the error comfort service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, go ahead and get them in on the text line now. and We will get to those uh, momentarily. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, I feel like you're dreaming about the Cardinals offense. If you had to guess today, where do they finish ranked among Major League Baseball teams in runs scored in 2023? Top Out. three. You ready to dream a little bit with me? I have a dream. Do you? To have a dream. Um, I have always stated about the Cardinals that I think that they will, or about this Cardinals lineup, that they will finish top five. If I had to guess where specifically they finish, I'll, I'll say second. I'll one up you just a little bit, just to be a little just, more optimistic about priced, the Cardinals. You just than priced you. us right, me. That was now. Here's BS. here's the real question. Where's Tanner got him going? Oh, number one, baby. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. Are you kidding me? Jordan Walker, mini Albert Yeah, he pools. thinks Taylor Motter is going to be the reason that they're number one, though. Taylor Motter's taking Paul DeYoung's job. Great value, Brendan Donovan. Juan From Yepes the 314. Just stop. <laughs> no, I wasn't done, but it's fine. Alex, let's say the Blues get the fourth overall pick. What type of player would it require for you to be willing to trade that pick away? That's an interesting question. I'm not. I mean, Connor McDavid. Leon Dreisaitl. You'd do that? Kale McCarr. Well, yeah, of course I would do that, but I'm not trading. If I'm in the top four, not trading it. Fifth, I would consider it if the player was better than what I'm getting in return. Because once you hit five, I believe you're still. Matthew Kachuk. I would trade it. Oh, I'm sorry. Four? No. I would keep I would keep four. You would keep four over mm-hmm. Matthew Kachuk. Because well, of the money, right? Because of the money, yeah. I, and I believe the top four is going to be a generational player. And I know a lot of people, I was talking with Rocchio uh, in the office, and he was like, oh, I read on that Russian kid, the uh, Mikov, and he's like, I don't, I'm out on that because you got to wait two years. I'm not out on that because Kirill Kaprizov took three years to come over from Minnesota, and look at what he's doing right now with the Wild. Worked out all right. Fine. Yeah, so top four, it would take a generational player for me to trade. Outside of that, I would listen. I think I'm with you. I, I think top four would be tough to move the pick for I once you start getting outside that top four top five that's when I would be willing to listen to where if a team wants to say not even just a player but they want to move up in the draft I would look at potentially then trading back as well but in that top five with how deep this draft is I I don't think you move on from unless you're getting someone like a McDavid, a guy like yeah. that. Just give me Mackenzie Weger and we're fine. <laughs> He'll take Oli um, Mata for the fourth overall pick. God, what I would do for Oli Mata. Oh, um, oh. I, I think I'd probably keep it. I would be more open to moving it than you guys would just because if you're getting something with certainty, I, I just value that certainty. Like if Matthew Kachuk was actually made available, he won't be. But if he was made available in this hypothetical world, yeah, I would trade the fourth overall pick for Matthew Kachuk and then I would probably then flip um, Jordan Kyrou for something to make the money work. And I would get something of significance, I would hope, for Jordan Cairo. And now I'm just building around Matthew Kachuk and Robert Thomas as my top line. And we'll 
Let's see what this baby does. The way I look at it is top four player is going to be impacting your team next season because you're talking Bedard, Mikoff, who's not going to be impacting it for a couple of years. But when he does, he's going to turn your team around pretty quickly. Carlson and uh, Fantilli. Beyond that, you're probably waiting a year before they come into play. So that's why when you get to fifth overall, I would be open up to that because you're getting a player who's going to impact you this season. From the 618, guys, this isn't really related to anything pertinent, but I think BK would be just like Bradley Rose if he were a Peloton instruction and also British. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because I know who Bradley Rose is. I'm not familiar with Bradley Rose. Let's find out. Bradley Rose to the Google. Um, Oh my God, why would you make me Google that? He's a Peloton uh, instructor. (laughs) I was like, what? Uh, I, I don't know anything about him, the gentleman, but... I'm sure he's great. Oh, God. <laughs> like he looks like BK. <laughs> Does he really? Thank yeah. you. He must be an attractive guy. Nah. Coming up in 15 minutes. He's a minutes. big believer that life is an adventure we shouldn't take too seriously, so expect him to keep you smiling through his sweat-drenched sessions. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like me. That sounded That's dirty. That sounds like BK. That sounded dirty. Sounds like me. Yeah, he seems like he'd be intolerable. Sweat-drenched sessions. That's my the title of my autobiography. Right. Right. put soy milk in his coffee, All too. Right. I'm out on going to Alton next week with you guys. Coming up in 15 minutes. Can't wait to cuddle together Sweat in the hotel room, buddy. sessions. We'll talk to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Want to get his thoughts on the Pavel Buchnevich at center experiment. But coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2023 here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number 14, Dylan Carlson. And Dylan, it's a high fly ball in the deep right. One swing, and he's tied it. Five, five. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio, courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals players for 2023 at number 14. We have Dylan Carlson. It's starting to get interesting, boys, with this list. I think Carlson, if I remember correctly, was in the top 10 for all of us going into last season. Now he's down at number 14 on our overall list. Alex hates Dylan Carlson. No surprise there. He had him at number 18 on his list of the 20 most important Cardinals. But neither me nor Tanner Hendrickson had him in the top 10. I had him at 12. Tanner had him at number 13. Alex, this is still a very young player. We've seen in spring training, he put on 14 pounds of what he calls muscle weight going into spring training. He has shown a little bit more pop and he is hitting a little better from uh, the right side or excuse me, from the left side of the plate. In your mind, what does a best case scenario Dylan Carlson season look like this year? Consistent threat in the top five of your batting order. I mean, an ideal world for me, Dylan Carlson's a two-hole hitter for you. Guy who's getting on base, he provides the pop, he's scoring some runs, and worst-case scenario, he's getting on base for Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Wilson Contreras so that you can get runs early. 
Problem with that is I just don't buy into it with Dylan Carlson. But best case scenario, I'm looking at a guy that we saw, what was that, two years ago where he had his best season where we were like, damn, this Dylan Carlson is about to break through where you're talking 20 plus home run potential. You're talking a guy who's an over a hundred or over a 100 OPS plus and a slash line that is about as sexy as you can ask for. So somewhere in the top five consistently is my best case scenario for Dylan Carlson. Best case scenario for me for Dylan Carlson is you call him and he's an everyday player and he's not a platoon bat to where he's hitting right-handed pitching. And when I say an everyday player, I don't necessarily mean he's in the outfield. He's bouncing around. He's probably in center one day. He's in right one day. He's in left one day. He's the DH one day. I think that's the best case scenario. And I think it is a lot of kind of reverting back to 2021 where he had that 343 on base, the 437 slug. I do want to see a little bit of improvement, not just from last year, but overall in his play against right-handed pitching. He does seem to be playing well against him and and he wasn't bad in in his uh breakout year his rookie year when he slashed 329 411 a 739 ops wasn't bad had 13 home runs from the left side i think there's a little bit more there if dylan carlson hits his ceiling i think he's a guy with 20 home run pop potentially and can hit right-handed pitching and again works his way into the conversation as an everyday player i think it looks like 2021 with, with more power like, I think it's really that simple. In 2021, Dylan Carlson hit 265 with a 345 on base percentage. Those are both really good numbers. You love seeing that. The problem was the 437 slugging percentage. And if you get up a little bit in terms of his power this year, and that's why he put on that muscle mass during the offseason, you're talking about a guy that can hit either second or fifth in your batting order or sixth if you've got just an excellent top five and you feel really good about it. The biggest thing there, though, is he does have to improve against right-handed pitching. It's been the biggest question mark about him since coming up from the minors so far in his major league career. He's got an 870 OPS against left-handed pitching. That's awesome. At a minimum right now, you've got an excellent right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching. He should be in the lineup every day when there is a lefty on the mound. Or if you get a lefty that comes into the game late, he should be a guy that's coming off of the bench to face that left-handed hitter, left-handed pitcher. But against right-handed pitching, he's got a 690 OPS. He's batting 225 against them. So he has no average and no pop, 380 slugging percentage. It's a lack of everything against right-handed pitching so far in his career. Can he improve upon that? I think he can. I think he's shown it a bit so far in spring training, but that's going to be the big question for him to be able to get to that best case scenario. Alex, the worst case scenario for Carlson is what? Worst case scenario for Dylan Carlson in my eyes is a player who loses his everyday job and gets pushed into the fourth outfielder role. And I know that sounds strange because even in a fourth outfielder role, you could still be an asset to this piece, but To me, when you get pushed to the fourth outfielder role, all of the expectations have been lost because Jordan Walker has now overtaken your spot. We all know with Lars Newtbar is as high expected as he is. But for me, worst case scenario for Dylan Carlson is he becomes a secondary thought when it comes to your everyday starting outfielders because there was so much hype for this kid. And I know he's still young, but man, taking a step in the direction of Jordan Walker getting that spot feels like a massive step back for Dylan Carlson. Yeah, I I think worst case scenario is he's a fourth outfielder in a platoon bat. And and I don't think that's necessarily bad. I I think if it wasn't a kid that had such hype in the minor league system and the Cardinals said, you know, you're not prying him from our cold dead hands, I I don't think he would view it as a disappointment. But with Dylan Carlson, it's going to feel that way. I I think if he ends up being a platoon bat and he hits left-handed pitching well, though it is the quote-unquote worst case scenario, it's not the worst worst case scenario that's possible from the St. Louis Cardinals team. 
Yeah, it's a worst case scenario for him, but it doesn't mean that he's a bad player. I think is what you're getting at there, T-Bone. Like, he, you can be a really good player against a specific handedness of pitcher. Jock Peterson has made a career out of it. Now, if you could have one or the other, would you rather be very good against righties or lefties? Of course, you would rather hit well against righties because 70% of the fa- pitchers that you see in Major League Baseball are right-handed. So that's why Jock Peterson has made a career out of it, and it's much tougher to do as a right or a... Uh, yeah, a right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching, but you can do it. You, you can make it work. And he's still so young that even if that ends up being the case for him this season, you could still at some point in his career, see him finding a way to make it work against those right-handed pitchers. So at number 14 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023, it is Dylan Carlson. Alex, do you, where do you think he fits most often this year like if you had to guess when we look back in the 2023 season on where Carlson got the most starts what position do you think it will be because I don't think it's left I think it's probably center or right but where do you think he ends up finishing with more starts center because I think it's going to be a little bit of a revolving door with him and Tyler O'Neill I I just view this as Lars Nupar is going to be solid in right field for you if the bat plays like they all expect it to and you know the defense is there If Tyler O'Neill starts the season at center, I think you're going to see a lot of center field for Dylan Carlson also. So I would say by the end of the season, he's got more starts at center. I I think we're going to see him more in right, I I think. Because I think it was clear that they want someone else in center like O'Neill or Nupar. Nupar played center last night for Team Japan in the WBC. I think they view those guys better defensively there. And I always revert back, and this was a different coaching staff, so maybe it's changed, but Ollie was the bench coach. Mike Schultz always said that they thought Carlson's best position was right field. And I think that's where they're ultimately going to end up having him is when he's in the lineup, he's probably more than likely going to be in right. And Newpar will either be in left or center is my guess for right now. That's kind of where I'm at as well. I think he finishes with the most starts in right. I think they want Tyler O'Neill to be their starting center fielder this year. I, I It was surprising to all of us that that was the case coming into camp. But the more we see it, the more I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, last year we wondered, why don't they ever trust Tyler O'Neill in center field? We were talking about the Marlins as the potential trade suitor for Pablo Lopez. And they were like, yeah, we want a center fielder. And internally, we're all like, well, you could kind of try to convince them that Tyler O'Neill's a center fielder. But if you don't trust him there, why would the Marlins? Now, if they only could have waited to trade Pablo Lopez until midway through the season. Mm. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we will play Tanner's favorite game. It is called Believe It or Not. If you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we are believing it or not coming up at 1230. But next, Joey Vitale, Blues analyst, will tell us what he thinks about Pavel Buchnevich playing center for the team tonight. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus Sharks pregame with Joey and Alex coming up tonight at six o'clock. He is Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joe, how you doing today, Joey, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. <sighs> 
Awesome. What's up, boys? Doing good, guys. How you guys doing today? Doing fantastic and uh, very curious to see what the lineup looks like tonight for the St. Louis Blues. It looks like they're going to try out Pavel Buchnevich at center. It's something we've seen a little bit of in the past, Joey, but not a ton. What do you want to see from him tonight as he's playing potentially the full game at that position? Well, you know, there's two areas of the lineup tonight to really kind of keep an eye on and you know as, as we talk about this too guys as we as we all know this this season it's not it's less about you know hey show me something for for this season show me something for Craig Berube some sort of promise heading into the post whatever it is I mean we're, we're now transitioning this conversation into what is this team going to look like come next September or in, in October basically and I think right now you're going to see a couple adjustments in tonight's game that is going to kind of give Craig Berube and, and Doug Armstrong not necessarily a look at what this means for the team and for these individuals this year, but it's mostly looking at the future. What do we have? How can I put this per- person, this player in a position to be successful, at least give us an idea of what, what things are to come come next September? And one of those is Pavel Buchnevich playing center. You know, Craig Berube has been very adamant and very open about discussing how he is one of their best 200-foot players. He's got great speed. He's playing with a ton of confidence. Right now, two goals the other night there in Arizona. Uh, he sees the ice very well. And I think, you know, when you have a player that skates well and sees the ice well, like a Robert Thomas, those are the players you generally want in the middle of the ice, assuming they can play good defensively. Of course, as we know, um, Pavel Buchnevich certainly can do that. The other one in the lineup here tonight to kind of give Craig Berube, but more specifically, I think Doug Armstrong, a little bit more insight to what things are to come next year is going to be Alexi Torpchenko. He's going to be the left winger there on that top line with Robert Thomas. So here is a player, big, strong, great skater. Uh, here is a player that's been playing third, fourth line minutes, but now he is going to get a great opportunity to play on the top line with probably the best playmaker on the team in Robert Thomas. We talked to Craig Bruby this morning. What does he want to see out of Torbchenko? What does he need to do to be successful? Uh, be very direct and get to the net. He's talked about Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo as being great perimeter players, but they definitely need – more support as far as having one of their wingers or someone on that line go to the net, cause chaos, cause havoc. So look for number 13 here tonight, guys. Not only being strong on the forecheck, but holding on to the puck down low, being physical and just being being a pest uh, as far as the offensive zone goes and then certainly getting in and around uh, the front of the net against the San Jose Sharks here. Joe, you had a great breakdown on that broadcast the other night on that Clayton Keller goal where he was able to skate through four different Blues players and score the goal, and Bennington just looked defeated after something like that. If you're Craig Berube and you see that play, how, how do you fix that with your players? You know, this is, yeah, I said in the broadcast, I know, I know a player you're talking about, I believe it was a sixth goal of the game where, you know, it was Nick Schmaltz. He came down that near side wall. He had Clayton Keller on the back door. And, you know, if you rewind it, or at least you take a snapshot of the goal right before Keller puts it in, there are Blues players all in and around Clayton Keller's vicinity, all within reach, four, four Blues players, four white jerseys, all within striking distance of Clayton Keller. And that's where I think I said on the broadcast, I'm like, this is pretty much a snapshot, or at least if you could sum up this season in one play, it would be that play. And what I mean by that is this. You know, the Blues players, defensively, that's where they've, they've really struggled, keeping pucks out of the net. And you can't, you can't put this on the goaltender because that, that goal, for example, is exactly why. But 
they're there, but they're not there. It's a term in hockey. I'm, I'm sure it's a term in lots of sports, but you know, just being there isn't good enough at this level. You can't just be on the hip of Clayton Keller and think you, you have him guarded. You know, I would imagine similar to, to basketball, where if you're guarding LeBron James, if you're, if you're close to him in his shadow, yeah, you're there, but are you really guarding him? And for hockey, it's all about picking up sticks and just being, being harder around those areas, you know, pushing him out, putting him in a position where he can't score that goal. But the way we had four Blues players all around Clayton Keller and no one, you know, had the wherewithal to pick up his stick or actually drive him aside from the net, that, that's where they struggled this year. This has been the issue for this team, you know, all season long. How do you fix it? If I had the answer there, Alex, I'd be, I wouldn't be doing this, uh, this hit with you. I'd probably be behind the Blues bench. And I think this is what's frustrating for Craig Berube. You know, I had a great conversation this morning with the, the longest tenured Blues player right now in Robert Bortuzzo. We talked about team defense. We talked about what it takes to defend, what it takes to pick up Keller's stick, what it takes to be there, but actually not just be there, but actually be there. And to his words, it's a mindset. It's just a mentality. It's a complete mindset to defend. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be super skilled. I mean, look at Robert Bortuzzo. Again, he, he, he lacks skill. He, he lacks a shot. He lacks offensive, but he's stuck in the league and now the longest blue, uh, longest tenure blue because he does one thing. He defends, and defending is simply a mindset. So for Craig Berube in these final under-20 games to go, how do you get this team in the right mindset? How do you prepare them mentally the best you can to defend way better than they're defending right now? He's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. You'll hear him tonight on the call. Blues versus the Sharks. Joe, I know you're pressed for time. We appreciate you leaving some of it for us today. We'll talk with you again next week, man. Hey, sounds good, boys. You guys have a great weekend now. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him with Alex for the pregame show starting tonight at 6 o'clock. Alex, I'm I'm really – this is one of the games that I've been most interested in since the trade deadline for, for me – Craig Berube was just talking a little bit ago with the media about the decisions that he made to his lineup. He had this quote on why Toropchenko is playing tonight with Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. By the way, if you have not seen the line so far, it's Toropchenko, Thomas, and Cairo on the top line. Uh, Vrana, Buchnevich, and Kapanen is your second line. And then Saad, Shin, and Blay, according to the morning skate uh, lineups. That, that's what you're going to see on the third line tonight. Berube said this about Toropchenko. Torpo has worked extremely hard. He's done a really good job of improving this year and becoming a real solid player for us. It's deserving for me, but it's also on the other side of things. He can really help that line. The four check, creating loose puck battles, getting to the net more, trying to create a little bit of that identity of having a net front guy on every line a little bit, just getting to the net. I just don't feel offensively like we've done a good enough job of that. When you look at what... Like, for example, the Penguins have had on that top line or what uh, Edmonton looks at for their top line where they're going to be playing with Connor McDavid and, and Dreisaitl at times. They don't necessarily put the most skilled player as that third member of those lines. Sometimes it is a guy like and Evander Kane is kind of a, a weird piece of this because he, he does have a lot of skill in his game as well. But Evander Kane like, has played really well with some of the more skilled players in the league, and it's because of stuff like this. He's willing to go to the net. Torpchenko, I, I do think, could fit really well with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. It feels strange when you think about it at first, but then you go through like how he would work with that line, 
Alex, I, th- I think it might be something worth noting, and it, it could be something that they look at for the future. Now, this understand what I'm saying is the difference between Robert Thomas and Connor McDavid. But Connor McDavid has made Pat Maroon a 20-goal scorer. Correct. He made Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian, guys, who has 10 goals in his last three seasons, a back-to-back 15-goal scorer. And right now, he's making a fourth-line player, Zach Hyman, who was in Toronto, a 30-goal scorer with the Edmonton Oilers. If you have the talent at that top line, all you need is somebody who goes to the front of the net and wins puck battles. Because those guys go directly to where the goals are being scored. Thomas and Cairo are the perimeter players. They're the ones that can get shots to the net. And then you clean up the mess with a Toropchenko, with a Pat Maroon, with a Zach Cassie and things like that. That's what Craig Berube is wanting. And frankly, I look at this as Toropchenko's opportunity is a message to all of the other players. It's a message to Brandon Saad. It's a message to, I mean, Kapanen and Verona, although I think Kapanen had a really good game. It's a message to guys like Walker and Alexandrov and Logan Brown, who's going to be out of the lineup. If you play with the grit that is needed in the offensive zone, you're going to get opportunities. Craig Berube is not shy to give players chances where you look at it and you say, well, he shouldn't be there. But if you put the work ethic into it, you're going to get that chance. And Frankly, I'm very curious what this looks like with Toropchenko. Toropchenko in no way, shape, or form, in my opinion, is a first-line winger. But Toropchenko can be a third-line winger if he does this and goes to the front of the net. But this could be the perfect me- uh, recipe for success with Thomas and Kyrie. Yeah, I, like, I, I'm not even sure it's... I think there is an, a message to be sent there to be wrong. But I think part of it is just like different players have different skill sets. And Toropchenko is a massive human being who skates really fast, gets in on the forecheck and is in place super physically. It, it doesn't always have to be the single most skilled player that is on the line with with Robert Thomas. I think you need one of those. Like You definitely need one guy that is able to see the game the way that George, or Robert Thomas does and Kairou does. Like they, They've got that ready to go. I think you also need somebody that's driving to the net. And it's why for so long I told you I think that Brandon Saad was a pretty good fit on that line because he has some of that in his game. But he's more, he's like a finesse speed guy in a lot of ways. Torpchenko is, I mean, he goes by Torpo for a reason. When he's skating with the puck, sometimes I'm not sure he has another move other than driving as fast as he can, coming down the far side of the ice and just power moving straight to the net. Yeah, stop me. <laughs> I like that on this line. Get the puck to the net, and when Robert Thomas has the ability to make some of those crazy passes that he makes, and you've got Jordan Cairo that's got the shot, guess who's going to be right at the net to be able to clean some things up potentially? It's it's Torpchenko. Now, is he skilled enough to take advantage? I genuinely do not know. I don't know. The, the answer might be no. And then three weeks from now, or hell, even two games from now, we're talking about this and we're saying, hey, Brandon saw it back up with the top line. That's very possible. But I like them experimenting because you might as well find out now if he can play that way. And he's not Pat Maroon, but maybe he gives you like 60% of what Pat Maroon did with Edmonton when he was playing on that top line. It comes down to getting shots on net, though, because none of this matters if Thomas and Kyrou don't hit the net. Thomas and Kyrou have done a good job of that in the last few games, but if you don't hit the net, 
Torpchenko is irrelevant out there because then you're just chasing pucks around. I do think he creates puck opportunities, though. He creates space yeah. for Thomas and Cairo. And, and I think that's important, too. Absolutely. But it also comes down to the defenseman hitting the net because all of these sure. guys have to hit the net. And if you don't, then all Torpchenko is doing is skating in circles, chasing the puck. And then that shift becomes irrelevant because you've just wasted 30 seconds chasing the puck and trying to get back in the zone. I like what Craig Berube is doing here. Well, I, I think it's creative. I've said all along he's a smart coach, but a lot of people don't agree with that. Those people are dumb. Right, Tanner? Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. We've been called out again by the morning and the afternoon show. I am just asking both of them one more time to stop putting our names in your mouth. Oh. I'll explain why coming up in about 15 minutes. Believe it or not, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody else. Uh, look, I got the tea in me, boys. What? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. is the Air Comfort Service text line. It is T-Bone's favorite day of the week. It is Thursday, which means it is Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not. Yeah, have fun in Columbus. Here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's start with this one. T-Bone, this one comes from me. I'll direct it to you to start things out. According to Michael Lombardi, former NFL general manager, he says that the Rams would, quote, love to trade Matthew Stafford He added that Matthew Stafford is fully available and the Rams have indeed called teams about trading Matthew Stafford. T-Bone, believe it or not, the Rams win fewer than nine games this year. (laughs) Oh, God, it's going to be a dark few years, isn't it, buddy? I think I might believe that because they are blowing up the defense. I don't think they're going to be able to trade Stafford. Contract seems untradeable. But they're going young on the defensive side of the ball. I'm shocked Donald didn't go, you guys are trading Ramsey? Oh, you cut Wagner? <laughs> Deuces, I'll be in Cancun. Retired. Uh, I, uh, I'll believe that. They're going to they're gonna be bad. Offensively, they don't, they have, I'm not sure they're fixing the O-line in one offseason. The defense is going to be bad. I'll believe it. I'm going to believe it, too. I wonder, I wonder who the worst team in the NFC West is going to be. My well, gut Arizona. tells me Cardinals, but like. Yeah, Arizona. Oh, we're not all buying in on the new head coach. I mean, they won four games last year. Well, the Rams might win four and games might this be year. Worse. Rams might win four games this year. Like Arizona, they might be in a similar spot to where they were with Kyler, except this time they've paid their quarterback. I don't think they can get out of that contract, but if they ended up getting somehow the number one overall pick next year and Caleb Williams is available, like, the conversations a lot of people wanted to have this year about Justin Fields, I think we should actually have next year with Arizona and Kyler Murray if they were able to get Caleb Williams. Because this year, I think there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the draft. Caleb Williams is a transcendent superstar at the position. I say That'll the, be interesting. I say the Rams and Cardinals have very similar records at the end of the season. I mean, it wasn't all that dissimilar this year. The honestly, Rams won five. Honestly, the so thing that might fair. separate them is the Rams might beat Arizona twice. And that will be the separator. I don't know about that. 
I, oh, I'm, I'm confident in that one. I'm going to believe this as well. I think they win fewer than nine games. I think this is going to be a bigger transition period than anybody expected. And I think by the end of the season, we're getting a whole lot of quotes that are like behind the scenes about how frustrated Sean McVay is that he came back for this. See you in 2030, T-Bone. Why did McVay come back? He had to know this was the plan, right? I I don't honestly know because the way that everything that I had heard and reading on the LA Rams was that this wasn't the, supposed to happen. Was They had been telling McVay we're going at it again. Like I thought they weren't cutting Wagner. I thought they could trade Ramsey because of his contract, but I thought they were going to keep Wagner. They're going to be aggressive and potentially trade a first round pick to go get a defensive end. And now they're cutting Leonard Floyd, it sounds like, or they're trading him. I, I don't know why. There must be something in the works that we don't know about because McVeigh does not come back for this. Like, who are they going after on the defensive side? Because well, it Frank seems like Clark makes sense now that he's been cut. But man, I mean, they're they, second. They don't have any money. They're secondary. We're working is on it. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> so. The, the strange thing, too, is like if they trade Matt Stafford prior to June 1st, do you know what the cap hit is for them? Isn't, Isn't it like, like 67 mil? It's 75 million dollars. Yeah. Oh, so they're going to have to trade him after June 1st. And then they're going to have an 18 and a half million dollar cap hit for like the next four years. You've got their contracts in front of them. What is Robinson's dead money? Because they're talking about trading him and I think he's got it, Alan it's Robinson? Not, yeah. It's $26 million. Yeah, and they're talking about trading him. I don't know That's what they're doing. Signing. That was a great signing, Rams. I, I don't, I mean if they're going to do this, they should just take on basically all of the dead money for a bunch of these different dudes and just say we're going to sh- try to start fresh again next year. The problem is you can't do that with Stafford. Like as much as maybe they want to get rid of Stafford, they they almost can't. They they have to figure something else out unless he's willing to rework the deal. And if I'm Matt Stafford, I would say bleep you. You guys were the ones that courted me to come here. We all thought this was going to be this great marriage, and now two years in, you're trying to get out of it. Yeah, because, because you I didn't got know hurt? how to manage a roster. Yeah, that no, I'm not going to change anything around to make things easier for you. This uh, no. this Stafford reporting is definitely coming from. McVay's camp because McVay is ready to move on from quarterbacks quickly. I told you guys in season, like some of the early quotes coming out of him in season sounded like he had golf at quarterback again. Makes me wonder if they're trying to get in on Lamar Jackson in all seriousness. They really don't have the money for that. They they don't. You can make it. You can kind of, if they took a bunch of the dead cap this year, you can kind of smooth it out with Lamar's cap hit where you can just pay him like barely anything base salary wise this year and you give him a big signing bonus and it's stretched out over the next five years they could technically make it work they could find a way it's it would be tough but if you're doing all of this and you're trying to trade away Stafford, uh, Stafford what's your backup plan like you're just gonna go into next year with Baker I don't think so sadly to say they Baker are interested looked, in bringing Baker back Baker looked great uh, alright guys believe it or not City SC We'll pull in more. Let me let me change this. Believe it or not, City SC will find a way to make it to the postseason this year. Believe this. Now, I'll be full transparent with everybody. I don't know how the postseason picture works in MLS. <laughs> like, um, yeah, go City. Does everybody get in? Very little get it's in. It's not the NBA. It's close to it. Nine get in, I believe it is. Three. Nine versus eight played become... I think it's the eight seed and then one through eight play. I think it's best of three. So it's kind of like hockey. Kind of, except there's a ninth team in. Okay. But yeah. The way the way Close I the, NBA. the way I've seen that City SC plays, they look like a team that could compete for a postseason spot. So I'll believe it. I'm optimistic. 
I'll believe it too. I, I wouldn't say like expect them to be like a top four seed. I think they're probably sitting anywhere between that six to nine range. I think it just comes down to can they stay healthy and how does this high this high press that they like to play age throughout a season because it's a lot of work. And as you start to get into the grind of the MLS season, we'll see how it ages. And, and I also think that they're kind of loose on the back line. So I, I think they can be a playoff team. They've definitely exceeded my expectation, which was two wins. Um, I think they're a playoff team, but I don't think they'll be a, one of the top teams Damn. in the West. So they're only going to win two games this season. I thought it was going to be tough. Looking at the table. Um, is that what they call the playoffs in MLS? I, I wish we had cameras in here because he was so excited he said that, right? He, is, he, is that how they call the playoffs in, in MLS? That's how that they call the standings. Looking at the table? Look at the table. And you should see BK's when how he said it. He looked Google like he just got like a puppy for Christmas. You want me to be honest? Can I, can I pull yeah, disclosure? Is it on ESPN that you're looking at? Full disclosure here just as to what article. just took place. I'm on ESPN's yeah. uh, soccer yeah. page, okay. and I'm looking across the top, and I'm like, damn it, where are the standings? And it says table on it. My God. <laughs> and then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's the tables. Um, I'm so excited when he said it, too. He Googled uh, soccer trans uh, translations while we were talking there. Uh, City SC currently tied for first in the West with Seattle. So, hell yeah, they're going to make the postseason. Why not? All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, one of Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan will be traded before the start of next season. Donovan or Gorman traded before the start of next season. I think I'm going to believe this. If Brendan Donovan shows this power, you want to get your ace, could get him with Nolan Gorman. And if Jordan Walker's hitting, if you've got Mason Wynn coming, and if Brendan Donovan showcasing the power, do you look at Nolan Gorman and say, this might be the piece to get us over the top for that ace? Because I don't know how much, I mean, there's value on Brendan Donovan, but there'd be more value on Nolan Gorman, I would imagine. So I, I think I'm going to believe this. See, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to believe it because I could see a scenario, and I brought this up in the office a couple weeks back, to where I could see where they might move Donovan and create space for Mason Wynn. And Texas is like, well, Donovan's a second baseman. Well, one, Wynn's playing second today, but two, you can slide Edmund over to second, and you can kind of do what you're going to do with Gorman this year, where he's probably rotating in and out between second, DH, and third base. But don't you have more options for Brendan Donovan around the field? I think Donovan carries more value because, well, yes, you do. But I, I think Donovan carries more value because... He has all those positions he can play. He's got a high on-base guy. If he adds power to his game, I think there'll be a lot of value in him. He's got a lot of team control left. I, I'll believe this because I think they're going to move somebody to create room for Mason Wynn for next season. So I'll believe it. I'm not going to believe it. I think that if they make a move, it's probably coming from the outfield. I think that's the place Brandon where you Donovan end up becomes doing. a fourth outfielder. Maybe. Yeah, and you can use him at second, you can use him at DH, you can use him at third. I think he becomes for the Cardinals. We were talking about this before the game or before the show today. I think Brendan Donovan eventually becomes like your Chris Taylor, where hey, we need a player to start here, whatever that here is, other than basically like center field. He's a guy that can do that for you. So um, I think I think he ends up filling that role. I don't think that they're going to want to punt on a young, cost-controlled left-handed bat that can hit 30 home runs if he actually comes to fruition in terms of Nolan Gorman. So I'll say both of them are back by the start of next season. If there is a middle infielder that's traded by then, I think it might be Tommy Edmond. <sighs> they won't do that. To be honest, Tommy Edmond's too good of a player. I think he is too, but 
If you've got Mason Wynn as your starting shortstop, you've got Brendan Donovan who gives you versatility all over the diamond and gives you better on base percentage than Tommy Edmond does. And you've got uh, Nolan Gorman as well. I think the the guy that could actually see his way into the odd man out of this scenario is Tommy Edmond, who a lot of other teams would see as a legitimate starting shortstop in Major League Baseball. And for good reason. He's a good one. The Cardinals just might have a better one coming and a cheaper one coming in Mason Wayne. Uh, Tommy Edmond's better than Nolan Gorman. Coming up in about 15 minutes or first. so, the Blues' primary goal the remainder of the season needs to be finding out what they have defensively. And I think the lineup tonight shows us that they're trying to do exactly that. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next... Time for the junk drawer. Stop putting our names in your mouth. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Listen, I'm not saying we're the three best athletes in the world. I'm not pretending as much. Yeah, I get dragged well, down know, by you guys. Well, we know one of us is. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you. Oh. Tanner thinks that he would win the Olympics and ping pong. Tanner it's vomited true. on a beer mile. That's not a pro sport. Alex, for some reason, thinks he's the fastest one of the three of us. Not sure where oh, that no, I've, idea I've comes from. I've never said that. As you run way too much. Stairs. Yeah, you run way too Alex much Alex thinks he could win a game of 21 between the three of us. Oh, Again, I absolutely can do that. Tiny over here can't do it. To be clear, because we don't, this is not a visual medium. Oh, they, they know, know who Alex Tiny is. Referring they know who Tiny Tanner. is. Oh. But what I don't appreciate, because I can give these two crap. Yeah, because we're, we're, we're family. It's here. all love. What I don't appreciate is when other shows bleep all over the three of us because it's completely uncalled for. So when I listen to the morning show today and they're playing audio from the fast lane yesterday about a pickleball competition that I wasn't even aware was a thing. There's a pickleball competition. <sighs> we got to respond. All right, let's hear what they had to say. Maybe they're thinking of a midday show and they were going to like take them out behind the woods. That makes more sense. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think they thought of, well, I don't know. What the hell is Marshy laughing about? What were you thinking? We've got bench players too. Oh yeah. Like if we, if we want, we got, we can go deep into the roster. We got BT, we got Matt Holiday. Come on. Carrie, they say they have athletes. Yeah. Uh, I believe we have world champions on our team. I'm just saying. And if I'm not mistaken, pickleball is essentially tennis without all the movement, right? It it really is. And so we're here. We're ready whenever you're ready. And guess what? Our fearless leader, one Randy Carricker, is going to come in. We (laughs) are ready. So you just tell us the time, place, wherever it needs to be. We're there. We're ready to go. Rocchio used plural world champions as Rocky, like a chess champion from high school that I'm not aware of. I'm sure Randy won a championship in something cool. trivial related. Cool. I don't, I, I don't under, like I get the fast lane ishing on us because they saw it in person in softball, but Again, well, guys. if they actually attended the events that they were a part of, Boom! maybe they wouldn't have had to have us fill yeah, in. Don't take vacations all the time. We wouldn't have to worry about that. Maybe we shouldn't give anybody else crap for taking vacations. Well, I mean, I'm fine in that area. You, not so much. I'm out tomorrow for a vacation. (laughs) It's not really a vacation. But then the morning show jumping in on this? 
Like, what are we doing here? Man, listen. Again, I'm not saying we are the best athletes of the bunch. I would never, never suggest as much. But Tanner played tennis in college. Yeah. The dude got a scholarship for it. He thinks he'd be a world champion in ping pong. And you're telling me that guy couldn't carry the two of us on his... Back. BB sized shoulders <laughs> up to the finish line. It's true. He could he could find a way to carry that. I just I don't understand the disrespect for the three of us. Sure, we don't look like the most intimidating individuals. Whoa, sure, for yourself, sure we don't act like the most intimidating individuals. Earlier today, I used a spreadsheet to look into the playing time for the Cardinals. Well, that might be why they're looking at us this way right <laughs> now. But all I'm saying is, when you doubt the underdog, the underdog comes back and bites you in the rear end. We definitely have a pitbull mentality are you in the words of the words of bradley carnell we are a baby pitbull waiting Mm. to mature we have a baby pitbull. yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll bite some damn kneecaps let's go look i I, my whole reason for being upset is that i get dragged in with the two of you that's not fair (laughs) well man this is a team right now we're trying to defend ourselves and you're gonna do this let's just be honest if they're gonna call out the show for not having Look, athleticism. And why are we doing pickleball? They shouldn't include a guy that went to college on a scholarship. Why are we doing pickleball? Why are we doing pickleball? Let's pick a real sport. Let's pick Whoa. a real one. Let's go. Whoa. Let's that go. Was Alex. Let's pickleball. go. You, hey, you people out there, I know there's a lot of you that love the pickleball. That was Alex. I'm just saying. I want no part of this. Want a little three on three hoops? Let's go. I don't think that would end well for I us. think it would. Oh, I think, I think we'd win three on three. I think we three. would. I think we would. I think you're underestimating this. I think we'd be the morning like, show. Let's for be sure. honest. What people saw was softball home run derby, and that's just pure strength. And let's be honest, you none know what? of us I actually have that. We would get second in, in three. Oh, no, three. we'd win. Oh, I'm guaranteeing oh, I think, we would win that. I think we'd win. You yeah. think we'd be the fast line? I think that the I trouble we would have was how do we <laughs> stop Carrie and how do we stop Jamie? Oh, I got Carrie. I got he's got Jamie. All right. Well, secretly we'll we'll help <laughs> hey, with a double. Hey, you don't have to worry about underneath the hoop <laughs> when you're down. knocking down yeah. threes. That's the way I look at this. Somebody said the balloon party would beat you guys, and there's only two of them. First of all, no, they wouldn't. Second of all, they pick like Iggy to help them out. And third of all, no, we're good. no, they wouldn't. And they're acting like, oh, we got bench players. We got bench players. We can pull Joe Vitalian on our end. Yeah. This man played Katie in the National Hockey League. would for sure be our Katie yeah. would be our on squad. this. John Denton. Anybody else seen John Denton? That's a big man. <laughs> you know what? That's who we want. We, we're claiming John Denton. He's 6'5", I'm just saying. 220. I'm just saying. Mike McConaughey. John, we've John got Denton friends could of the stand show. next to Jordan Walker. You'd be like, which one's Jordan Walker? We've got friends <laughs> of the show. You know what? I'd give up my roster spot for John Denton. That's what I'm saying. So anybody, anytime, anywhere, BK, T-Bone, Alex, BTA, TBA, we're here right waiting for you. Somebody said you all are like infant turtles who would hide in your shell at the first sight of danger. If they want a singing competition, I think we go at it. Somebody else says play hockey against Rivers. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're not okay. talking about right now. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that seems like a really that's horrible a, that's idea. That's a terrible not only, idea. Not only am I bad at skating, he would kill me. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not claiming to be better at him at that. That would be just disastrous. Honestly, that's I'm, like saying I could play football against Kerry Davis. Not happening. Louie, by the way, tweeted at us. Louie? The, the, the Blues mascot is he on our side <laughs> he said hell yeah feel free to add me to your roster for pickleball and we'll take louie i don't know that i want louie what the <laughs> hell <laughs> <laughs> what the hell i think i'm sticking with john den we're claiming writer too R- yeah. writer's actually like secretly athletic we're claiming writer <laughs>
Ryder's the guy that hey. shows up in like any parlor parlor game you want to play. He's like the ringer that comes right. in and he's terrible the first game, and then he's just gonna swindle you out of all of your money. Sorry, you're Ryder. playing pool. He's gonna swindle you out of all of your money. And after he tricks the first you game. to go an all in for yeah. game two. Correct. Right? Yeah, he's but like, the- hey, twenty dollar game. Sure, yeah, no problem. He, you, he hands you the twenty. He says, hey, what if we game? played for hundred and fifty this time? No problem. I just beat you like a drum. And then he takes all of your money for the rest of the The tough part will be trying to get Ryder to leave his house. Alex, are you serious right now? (laughs) You don't even want to go to Alton, man. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's just because you guys are trying to get me into a hotel with all three. You wouldn't go. If, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to go if it was just no hotel. All right. Hey, if it's about competition and showcasing that we're the best, I'm in. Can I be honest? Why I'm mad about all of this? Why? I'm so sick of the morning show discrediting anything that I've ever done in my life. Well, what have you done in your life? Do you remember when they did the balloon challenge thing, and they were talking about, hey, who could keep the balloon up the longest? And this was back when Michelle was on the morning show. Real quick, Rocky texted oh, Ryder that said, BK just signed a death warrant. I've got Kerry Davis covered in basketball. It's fine. It's no problem. <laughs> Thanks, Ryder. Kerry ain't got nothing. Basketball, I got Kerry. Oh, um, God. <laughs> no, I'm, what's Kerry ever accomplished in his athletic career? I mean, let's be honest. Put my resume well, up against Tanner, his. Tanner, it'll be three on two by the end of that game. <laughs> yeah. The problem is I'm just going to be beaten to a pulp yeah. on the ground. The, the lifeless body in the middle of the basketball court. He's on our team. <laughs> we got skins. That guy used to have a big nose. And now it doesn't exist any longer. Go on with what you're saying. So okay. morning show discounting you. When, when yeah. does that happen, buddy? So this was back when it was Carriker and Smallman. Now it's the opening drive. Man, they all hate you. T-Bone is their producer. Remember when they were doing the, the keep the balloon up? Hey, who would be good at oh, this? Yeah, the world record. We said we could do that. Let's let's play the tape, T-Bone. So I saw a article a couple days ago hey, about T-Bone. a man in Idaho set the world record for keeping three balloons in the air for over an hour. Take it or leave it. One of the 101 ESPN personalities could beat that record. Alex Ferrario, maybe. Whoa. BK, no. The quickness, man. Jamie, maybe. I, th- I think Jamie probably has that level of focus and athleticism. Hey, you know what that means? I'll put a feather in my cap. I got a maybe with Jamie. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know what that means? By him going on and saying, Alex, maybe. BK, BK no. no. Jamie, I think he has that level of athleticism and concentration. He's essentially saying there that I don't have the requisite amount of athleticism. And what did, what did he say specifically there? What was BK, the, no. Concentration. Con- concentration. Not well, a great moment for well, me. Well, you don't have the constant. <laughs> well, look, if they <laughs> you didn't help your case. They don't, they don't believe you could do something that my two-year-old daughter is really good at. The funny thing is, is like, I don't know if I've seen him do something of like <laughs> I mean, concentration be, for a long period of time. I, I can see BK getting distracted with the balloon in the air. host a radio show for a living. Some would say not well, but I do it. And it requires some level of concentration, more so than Randy trying to follow me on Twitter. He has no level of concentration to do that, apparently. Or maybe he does, and he prefers not to. Wait, Randy, Randy, you follow BK on Twitter? BK, no. (laughs) That's that's his thoughts on following me on Twitter. I went over to his Twitter page the other day. The level of disrespect from our morning show. I thought we were all a family here. Apparently not. He follows 7,200 people. 
70. He follows St. Louis. <laughs> like the entire city. Hey, I'm in that in that group. Tanner's hometown of only Illinois, the home of the white raccoons. <laughs> no, that's it's almost, almost squirrels. That's, it's squirrels. Almost, that's like 72% of the population of only right there. He's following. He follows all of them. Every single person there. BK? BK, no. Nope. Not doing that. So, are we so a, I'm sick of the disrespect are around we, here. I, hey, I got your back because we're team, we're family, and I'm going to defend your honor just oh, like I'm going to defend I T-Bone's think, honor. I think we get rid of the dead weight. Guys, does nobody fi- like me? No, they don't. Sorry, <laughs> buddy. I don't think anybody likes me either, so it's okay. We're kind of a group of misfits. Are we officially accepting the challenge? Somebody said, I have 50 followers on Twitter, and one of them is Randy. (laughs) Oh, my God. If Randy follows you on Twitter, please tweet at him right now to follow BK. Hey, man. BK, no. You don't need his follow. Honestly, at this point, I don't want it. You don't need it. I'm going to block Randy. He's not allowed to follow me. All right, so we're officially accepting this challenge because we don't back down to competition. Somebody said, BK, you can't even run a vacuum cleaner. You appear to be the most uncoordinated person I've ever seen. I mean, you couldn't get a food processor out of a cabinet. Listen, it was it was squishy, and it was moving all over the place, and it fell on my head. Who the hell has a squishy and, food processor? And then processor? I might have run into a tree while walking over by Bush Stadium on opening day last that year. That is a fact. That also may have taken Witness place. Witnessed that. I was only by a nose length. May though. have sprained my ankle on a run while trying to jump onto a curb to get onto the sidewalk. I may All have also things. really jacked up his back one day. I remember that one. Oh, yeah, I was painting. running up a hill. I remember, I think we had Saxy in here. Saxy's like, dude, what'd you do? Run. What? Back hurt after painting. Do you guys think we could win this? Absolutely. What's Randy think? A no. <laughs> okay, well, Tanner and I Are got we it. in? Hell yeah, we're in. I'm seriously thinking of bringing on Louie, though, for BK oh, spot. Yeah. Well, we also got found another one that we have on our bench, Grant Francis. There we go. Grant's a hell of yeah, an we athlete. We run deep, man. We run deep out here. Hey, do you want to cut the dead weight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Randy, Coming what up. do you think? Coming BK, up no. <laughs> hey, buddy. We like you. Do you? <laughs> Only sometimes. We're talking with the boss today. and Oh, that's not going to go good. Holding some... Uh... <laughs> Some level of frustration right now. <laughs> the amount of discredit that we have received on this show. I don't appreciate it. It almost sounds like poor if just you, but you yeah. know, we can bring us all in if we Although want. Although I think mine might be like the silent but deadly one. By the way, they call Randy their fearless leader. Why don't you guys do that with me? Because you tried to take the credit. You tried to yeah, put you that title on your own. yourself the fearless I'll leader. I'll never forget the text. Well, your fearless leader has decided, okay, no, no. Can't spell ego without BK. Coming up next, the Blues' primary goal the rest of the season is to figure out what they have defensively. These guys got to stop looking like me on the ice. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. BK, no. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we are officially ending an era in college basketball. We used to have superstars in the college ranks that would stick with really want, maybe you'd see them go to two schools over the course of their career. Uh, that doesn't really happen anymore. So we'll discuss one of them that retired yesterday in the college basketball ranks. That's coming up here in just a little bit. But 
Alex, the Blues made a few different changes to their lineup for tonight's game. We already talked about what they're doing uh, on the forward side of things, and you guys can f- uh, find that conversation on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. They're also making changes on the blue line. You've still got Letty and Pareko. You've got Scandella skating with Justin Falk today. And then you've got Tori Krug as your third pairing defenseman, once again, skating with Callie Rosen. Alex, if there is anything that the Blues need to get figured out the rest of the season, like even more so than finding out what Buchnevich is as a center, you need to figure out what you have defensively because this group has not been good enough this season. Doug Armstrong said it last Friday to us as we were talking with him at the Centene Community Ice Center. All of them have taken a step back this year, and he doesn't understand why that is the case. The rest of this season, last whatever it is, 19 games of the year, uh, that's where I'm going to be focusing the majority of my attention. Yeah, and it's no coincidence that Tory Krug's been skating on that third pair. They've been seeing a lot more of Marco Scandella, and Mike Van Ryan switches his up, so at time in games, you'll see Krug move up with Justin Falk, and of course, he's getting power play time. But you've also got an individual who has one point in his last eight games, and this is somebody that they view as a power play presence, somebody with the offensive skill set, and they're using them on the third pairing with uh, Tyler Tucker, Kelly Rosen later on this evening. So that that's surprising to me for what they hope for out of Tory Krug. But here's the thing. We've heard the rumors of Pareko being in trade conversations and, you know, or teams be interested in Nick Letty. And then what happens with Marco Scandella? They've got to sort out what this looks like moving forward and not so much of, well, they've got these guys on contract where they go with it, but where's the playing time coming from? Because you've got four guys that are under contract for at the minimum, the next four years with no trade clauses, but you've got a lot of guys on the left side and not a lot of guys on the right side in terms of depth. The only players that we're talking about that can play the right side moving forward is Matthew Kessel. And Matthew Kessel, in my opinion, isn't a top four defenseman. You're talking about kind of like what a Tyler Tucker, Callie Rosen is, maybe at best a seventh defenseman. But you've got a Scott Perunovich in your system. You've got two younger players uh, that one was signed to an entry-level contract most recently. The other one has already been under an entry-level contract. And then you go even deeper into their depth system. It's a bunch of dudes at the left side. We're talking about eight, nine players deep all on the left side. So that's going to be... The most intriguing factor for me of how they deploy these defensemen moving forward and what their mindset is, because if there's an area that I feel like they're going to move in the offseason, it's going to be from that left side because Pareko, Falk, and then a lot of nothing. And I know guys can play on the right side that are lefties, but you're not going to be doing that with five of your six defensemen. So left side of the D moving forward, the final 19 games is going to be the area that I'm going to be watching a lot of how they use Letty, Scandella, Krug, Tucker, and Callie Rosen. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I am Brandon Kylie. Blues versus Sharks tonight. Pre-game coverage for that one starting at 6 o'clock right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. The puck drop with Joey and Curbs coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. Hey, we were coming up next, we're going to be talking a little college basketball. We are arriving at the end of an era for college hoops And one of the best to do it over the last couple of decades has officially decided to call it a career. And the first round action of the NCAA tournament will be without him as it tips off next week. 101 ESPN getting in on the fun. We're going and watching the games at Max in downtown Alton. We'll be broadcasting live next Thursday and Friday. BK and Ferrario, the midday show, will be there from 11 to 
two. We're going to win at all things at Max in downtown Alton, just as we will as we take on the fast lane. Whatever they want to do other than hockey. Uh, two to six will be the fast lane. Baseball, too. We're, and we're home run derbies. We're out on that. Hockey and baseball, no, no, no go here and on football. BK and Ferrario. But we'll be watching some hoops together, hopefully winning some bets together. Out at Max in downtown Alton, 101 ESPN. We'll have some giveaways there. You can check out all the first-round madness, delicious food, as always. Again, at Max in downtown Alton next Thursday and Friday from 11 to 6. We've, our, we've officially lost Louie, so thanks a lot, BK. That's right. We didn't need him. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, can you beat the Blues? But coming up next... It's the end of an era for college basketball. What's it mean? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ten minutes or so, we're playing our weekly game of Can You Beat the Blues? The NHL's doing it, so why can't you? Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind. But right now is your opportunity to be a part of this week's edition of Can You Beat the Blues? The giveaway this week is a signed puck by Tori Krug and a pair of tickets to watch the Blues in action live at Enterprise Center against the Canucks on March 28th. All you got to do, be texture number, oh, I don't know, 50, 51, 52, and 53 on the text line at 314-399-9646 by saying, I can beat the Blues. If you're texting number 50, 51, 52, and 53, you will be going up against Tory Krug today in our weekly edition of Can You Beat the Blues? Not number 47, huh? Nope. Okay. Would have made a lot more would've sense. Would have made sense. <laughs> would have cool. made, made much more sense. That's cool, guys. Than the way he that I decided thinking, to He do had it. Mackenzie Weger on his mind. All right, but before we get to that, we're at the end of an era for college basketball right now, Alex. Uh, the other day, it was a bit of a strange scene as reporters kind of got a glimpse of a hey, Jim Beheim sounds like he's trying to announce his retirement right now, but didn't totally announce his retirement. And then the school announced his retirement for him. I don't know if Beheim actually retired or if he was fired or some combination of the two, but Jim Beheim is no longer the head coach at the University of Syracuse. This is going to be his final season there which is noteworthy because he's been around at the University of Syracuse for like 55 years, Alex. He was a player there. He became an assistant there. And then he's coached there. He's basically never lived anywhere other than Syracuse, New York. And he built them into, other than the last few years, which has obviously been a bit of a down spiral for them, a legitimate powerhouse nationally. It's a team that played for a national championship game. Tony Kornheiser was on Around the Horn yesterday or the other day talking about Jim Beheim and the legacy that he's going to be leaving behind. And I agree with what he had to say. I think this is bigger than just Beheim. I think it's a college basketball thing that's changing right now. There's a famous story about Jim Beheim when Rick Pitino was an assistant to Jim Beheim in Syracuse. And they were sitting around one day. And, and the coaches were saying, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? And Jim Beheim said, right here, Syracuse, right here. He spent his whole life coaching there. He had great players. He had a long and great career. You know, when you look around, Roy Williams out when he was 70. Mike Krzyzewski out when he was 75. And now Jim Beheim out at 78. Roy Williams, the youngest of three, called himself old Roy. These are giants, and they're gone. It is going to be weird to not have college basketball any longer with some of as – Tony Kornheiser said there, the giants of the game. 
that have been around for decades, honestly. And I think what was unique about the previous era of college basketball, Alex, and I, I think you could really talk about this in any level of coaching, is that they, they, they got a good job that they liked, and then they just stayed there. They didn't leave. They didn't hop around. They didn't chase the money. They didn't chase the title. And I don't mean to sound like an old man yelling at clouds because I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I've done a lot of hopping around in my career. Like, I'm, I'm not going to knock anybody for doing it. But Jim Beheim got the job at Syracuse in 1969 as an assistant. He became their head coach in 1976, and that is the only title that he has known since then. Basically, from the time when he was an 18-year-old kid up until today, he's only known one thing, and it's the University of Syracuse. That's special, dude. Coach K, basically the same thing. Almost his entire career, other than the stint at Army, the dude coached one team. It was Duke. When you think Coach K, he is immediately associated. You do the word association game, Duke, first thing that comes to mind. When you say Jim Beheim, one word comes to mind, and it's Syracuse. When you do that for other coaches now that are kind of the, whether it's the up-and-comers or um, the guys that have been prominent head coaches in major college basketball over the last decade or so, you can't really do that. Like, just look at the Ken Palm top 10 right now. Rick Barnes. Do you think Tennessee? Do you think Texas? A lot of these guys have been prominent at multiple different jobs. Uh, the number one team right now in Ken Palm is, is Kelvin Sampson. I don't know if you remember this, Tanner, but there was a time where he was a big-time head coach at the University of Oklahoma. A bunch of stuff came out. There was a scandal, and then now he's at Houston. He's doing a great job there. It is different now. I think one of the last guys that's really available that has this kind of um, legacy at one school is Izzo up at Michigan State. But other than that, I can't really think of too many guys that have the kind of resume, the kind of legacy that we're seeing with somebody like a um, like a Jim Beheim. Does Calipari end with that legacy? Maybe. Um, the, the thing is, though, like before he got to Kentucky, he was another guy that hopped around all right. over the place, went to the NBA briefly, was at Memphis for a number of years. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know. What about uh, Mark Few? Has he always been at Gonzaga? That, that's yeah. probably one that you could put in here. He okay. he is probably the closest thing modern day wise to what we saw with Bayheim at Syracuse. And, and I love Tom Izzo comp too because Tom Izzo was always reported to be going to the NBA and he always turned it down and stuck with Michigan State. And I think that's a cool thing. I am kind of old school with you there. I always loved when you got the head coaches that were permanent at the schools and just seeing how they always kept their teams competitive and always kept them building. I mean, it's no coincidence that Duke and North Carolina were so dominant for so long because of Roy Williams and Shusevsky. It, it, I don't know. It just it gave that poetic feel to college basketball when you had those those head coaches that were there long term and recruiting the players and seeing those players to go on success. Like you just always knew that if somebody was going to play for Coach K or for Roy Williams or for um, for Tom Izzo going to find their way to the NBA because that just seemed to be the the recipe for success with those guys you know another one that might be kind of building something similar to this Tanner it's in your neck of the woods it's it's Matt Painter at Purdue now he he's just yeah. he got the job there he made it into a really good program and he never left now there was a point in time when I thought he was going to be the next head coach at the University of Missouri it's been reported that he had accepted that job and then when he got back to tell his team he decided he couldn't do it so he had the opportunity to leave, but he decided against, and he's just never gone anywhere else. Uh, Randy Bennett might have some of this at St. Mary's. He's built that into a very good program out there. But 
it, it's so rare to see something like this. And so when these guys have retired in recent seasons, I do think it's worth taking a little bit of time to just think about like, I, I, I miss some of that. There's still a little bit of it that, that remains, but not at, not at that level. I don't think not at the level of a coach K not at the level of a Roy Williams, not at the level of a Jim Beheim. Th- those are, are special things where you become associated with a very specific program. Some people have said you could argue that Bill Self has that at Kansas. I think he's probably the closest thing to it today. I was going to say, I I think for Bill Self, it just comes down to if he ends up jumping again. If not, then I would say it's fair to say he's kind of the newer, modern one of that because I I view Brett Underwood as possibly being that guy. Like I think Underwood could be the head coach at Illinois until – He's ready to call it a career. It just comes down to, will he jump ship? Not just Brad Underwood, but Bill Self. Because I think there are a lot of coaches now that you think about at their program having a lot of set success, and it just comes down to, are they going to jump ship again? Because I, w- I know like Calipari jumped around, but I would say he's the modern one where he finally got to the place he was happy, and if he stays there Especially throughout the rest of his it. career and doesn't like abandon ship for know. Texas, I, I, I think, think it's it counts little, for I, something. I think it's different because he spent, I mean, he spent almost a decade at Memphis. Like I know that's a little different for you, Tanner, because it was mostly when you were like growing up when that took place. But from 2001 to 2009, he was at the University of Memphis. Um, it's so funny though because I just don't think of him that way. And I mean, I watched those teams, but I only think Calipari. Maybe it just comes with the success of the players that went through Kentucky and where they went on to have success. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he had some really good players at Memphis true. as well. Yeah. You, you look back at some of those teams. I mean, he went to a championship yeah. uh at memphis or the elite eight actually uh with memphis so i i don't know i i think that maybe i'm just viewing it a little bit differently but it's all right man you're sentimental derrick rose played for him there i thought that was right but i didn't want to say that and sound like an idiot if it was wrong so i, I think mark few uh fuse 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 Oh, well, it's not so easy Mark when you Fuse, put an S at the end of their last F-E-W-S, names. F-E-W-S, I think so. Mark Fuse huh. is, is the one that uh, probably has the, the closest thing to this right now. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario re- Rewind. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, you can show off your turning turning knowledge by signing up to play in this year's 101 ESPN Bracket Madness for the Pick'em Challenge. You can register right now at 101ESPN.com, and once the bracket is set, all you got to do is make your picks for this year's tournament. Free to enter. Top scores taking home a $250 Fanatics gift card. You also also receive a 101 ESPN prize pack to see the contest rules and get signed up to play in this year's Bracket Madness. Check out 101ESPN.com. It is all presented by Neutral and Twin Peaks. We'll hit the rewind in 15 minutes, but coming up next, we've got our game of Can You Beat the Blues? Somebody's going home with a signed puck by Tori Krug and a pair of tickets to see the Blues versus the Canucks on March 28th. Can You Beat the Blues next year on 101 ESPN? We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It is time for our weekly segment. We like to call Can You Beat the Blues? This week, our contestant is Tory Krug. We gave him four different categories. He's going to be going up against Ryan, Joe, Russ, and Joey in a game of Can You Beat the Blues? This week's giveaway is a signed puck by Tory Krug and a pair of tickets to see the Blues take on the Canucks on March 28th. If you were not able to get in this week, you can try again next week. We'll play 
next Thursday once again here on BK and Ferrario. Let's start with Ryan. Ryan, we appreciate you calling in today. Do you understand how to play? Can you beat the Blues? Oh, yeah. All right. So for those that are listening, this is basically the way that it works. Ryan will get a category. He will have 15 seconds to name as many different things within that category as he can. So, for example, if I told Ryan, Alex, you could play the part of Ryan. Okay. Name as many colors as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Red, blue, green, white, gray, yellow. Uh, All right. Alex gets all the different credit for that. And then we'll hear what Tori Krug has to say for that same category. And then we'll get into the margins and we'll find out who the winner is this week. Ryan, don't worry. We'll keep track of the time so BK doesn't cheap you out on those 15 seconds. Appreciate it. You got it, Ryan. All right. Our first category, Ryan, name as many boy names as you can that start with the letter T. As many boy names as you can that start with the letter T, as in T-Rex. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, Theodore, Theo, Tyler, Thomas, Tucker, Tim, uh, Taylor, Timothy, Tristan, uh, Toby, Tate, Tyson. Got I got 11. He got that right at the end there. Ryan, well played there, my friend. That was well done. I thought you were going to stall out there about midway through and you found a second wave. He revved that engine back up. All right, let's find out Tori Krug's name. Starts with the letter T. It does, buddy. I wonder if he got that one. Tori Krug, how many names can you name that start with the letter T? Uh, Tori, uh, Troy, Thomas, uh, Trent, um, Trip, Todd, <laughs> uh, else? Tyler. Got six. Tori was only able to get six. So no we got a, a good start to this one. Ryan's got a plus five. That's He's officially our leader in the clubhouse. No T-Bone, how do you feel about that? That's a little hurtful yeah. because uh, Tanner's not a real name. One, every time BK introduces the show, he says with Tanner Hendrickson. Uh, so the fact that Tanner was trying to get out party, there. Well, you know, I feel forgotten. I feel like I just got the Randy treatment of BK. No, it is quite impressive that Ryan stumbled found a second wave, and didn't name Tanner. Well, and he started slow. Out of the gate, it was, yeah. uh, and then once she started rolling it's with a nice it. nice performance there by Ryan. All right, let's get to Joe. Joe, you're our second contestant in this week, and can you beat the Blues? Do you understand the rules of the game? I do. All right, Joe. Your category this week is a simple one that can get a little complicated. Name as many things as you can that have wheels. Name as many things that have wheels as you can. On your mark, get set, go. Bicycle, tricycle, car, jeep, truck. Mail carrier, 18-wheeler. Jesus, damn. Joe, you sounded like me doing a Sports Center update. <laughs> so, so, oh, man. Are we, we going to give a mail carrier? Because if we give a mail carrier, I got seven. I mean, I feel like you should. Okay, we'll give him seven. <laughs> I, I think Joe earned it with Sorry, his performance buddy. Sorry, today. buddy. All right, Joe got seven. I did like that noise, though, that he made. Might be a new sound effect for BK and Ferrari. It, it was like extended oh. four seconds, too. <laughs> trying to fill I as much it. time as possible. All right, let's hear how many things Tori Krug can name that are on wheels. Jordan Cairo, Nick Letty, uh, cars, planes, um, 
let's see, tractors. Uh, I'm losing it. I got nothing else. Here. Bikes. Uh, <laughs> well, Tori Crew got six, so he is only a plus one. Joe was. We gonna um, we gonna accept Nick Lenny? No. I think he's got wheels. That was uncalled for. I'm gonna apologize. let that one sit. I apologize. If you want to talk to Nick Letty about his, are you chirping me, Jim? Speed. Feel free to do exactly that. I will not be doing that today. Um, by the way, somebody on the text line uh, said, "Guys, congratulations! You finally picked someone who's still on the roster." As you do, can you beat Amen the Blues? To that. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Starting a new trend. It's a landmark day here All on right. BK and Ferrari. So Joe got plus one. So Ryan is still in the lead. Joe, we appreciate you calling Thanks, in today. Joe. Joe, it was a valiant effort. He ran into a tough and category. we got a new uh, new mic or a new sound fight sound bite. So. Yeah, we got that out of Joe. Uh, Russ, Russ, we appreciate you calling in today. Welcome to the show. Do you understand how you play? Can you beat the Blues? Yes, I do. I just have a quick question. Did Tim and Timothy count? Two different names, yeah. Somebody hmm. could name their child Tim. Somebody else could name their child Timothy. And Russ, I would are, consider it to be two different names. Russ, are you questioning our competition? <laughs> yeah. I'm just asking just clarification. That's all, fellas. Are, are you trying to, to suggest that this is not exactly a scientifically... Uh, are you suggesting uh, we're deflating math is, balls no, here? Math is, math is ideal on this show. Thank you. They, see, Russ gets it. He, he gets listen. the show. Russ, yeah. I'll be rooting for you just because of what you just said there. Well, there's bias. <laughs> Russ, if you named Tim and Timothy, I would definitely have given it to you for... Uh, uh, or Russ and Russell. Russell. <laughs> there you go. There See, we two go. Different names. There we go. Or Tan and Tanner. Thank no, you. No, not Tan. Sorry. I don't know that I would have accepted <laughs> Tan. If you want me to be honest with you, that's uh, out. Russ, your category today: name as many things as you can that you would buy at a store. Things that you would buy at a store. On your mark, get set, go. Steak, chicken, uh, pork, bacon, uh, bread, muffins. Bananas, apples, oranges, peaches, limes, lemons, um, cereal, milk, juice, orange juice, apple juice. I got 16. I got 16 as well. I think apple juice came right after the buzzer there. Russ, that was a super impressive performance. Uh, I also want you to know that we will be accepting bacon and pork, even though they're technically in the same category, Russ. Russ, I felt like I was walking down the aisle at the grocery store (laughs) with you, but I had my headphones on that entire time. You can tell I'm a frequent grocery shopper. Yes, I, I can definitely see that. Um, all right, let's go to Tori Krug. Let's find out how often he is going to the grocery store. Tori Krug, how are you going to do here? Uh, toilet paper, paper towel, water, um, paper plates, uh, food, clothes, shoes, um, apples, bananas, uh, I don't know, whatever I come home with, I'm not going to have enough of it. That was nine. I don't even know how that. I don't even know what the answer that was at the end. Are we so, counting food? Yeah. We started naming off a bunch of like fruits. We, we gave Tim and Timothy. We're yeah. giving food no, and fruits. A little different. I mean, that is a little different, but okay. Plus seven. Either way. Either way. Right now, Russ, Russ would is be the in leader, leader in the clubhouse. He said at the end there, "Whatever I get, I'm not going to come home with enough of it." I mean, honestly, agreed. It's a good point. And I like how we started with paper towels and toilet paper. Set your priorities straight, kids. And paper plates. That's the smart way to go. You don't use the dishwasher as much, which means your water bill doesn't go up as much. Makes life a lot easier. Buy paper plates, kids. Congrats, Russ. 
so far. Your pork Joey, and bacon you got are through. our final contestant today in Can You Beat the Blues? Do you understand the rules of the game? Yep, I got it. All right, Joey. You're going up against Tori Krug as well. Curious to see how you do in this category. Can you name as many vacation spots as possible, as many places that you would go on vacation in 15 seconds? On your mark, get set, go. Uh, Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Montana, Colorado, Aspen, San Diego, Los Angeles, Canada, Mexico, Spain, Japan, Tokyo, uh, Australia, South Africa. 15. This is a tough one. Whoa, we're going to give Tim and Timothy, but we're not going to give them this? So he said Japan and then Tokyo. I think that's a little different. He also said Aspen and Colorado. Ooh. What do we do there? I give it to him. There's other places to to go in Colorado than Aspen. We're giving food and fruit. And there's other places to go in Tokyo than Japan. Right? 15. 15. 15. All right, so we got Joey with 15. Joey, well, well done there. That was an impressive performance by you. Tory Krug plays hockey. He travels basically for a living. I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> Let's see how many vacation spots he can name in 15 seconds. Turks and Caicos, Fiji, Italy. Um, I should have just named everything in Italy. Uh, Disneyland, Jamaica, uh, Mexico, uh, I don't know, Florida, California, Hawaii. <laughs> I got nine. I got nine as well. You got nine? That's what I had, nine. That's a plus seven, right? No, it's plus six. plus six. Don't do (laughs) math, kids. Math is important on this show. So Russ is the victor. Russ would be the winner this week. By the way, did you notice how all of the vacation spots that he named were like... Turks and Keiko was the first one? You can tell the different tax brackets that we're in, right? Mine would have been Branson, (laughs) Lake of the Ozarks, (laughs) Springfield, Illinois. Ours are like weekend vacation. His are like, where could I go for a month that would be fun? It's what a no trade clause and six and a half mil per year will get you. You love to see it. You love to see it. All right, so impressive. Impressive work by Tori Krug there. Impressive work by Russ. Russ, congratulations, man. You're our winner this week. Stay on the line. You will be getting a signed puck by Tori Krug and a pair of tickets to see the Blues versus the Canucks on March 28th. If you weren't able to get in this week for Can You Beat the Blues, don't worry. You might be able to get in next week. I'm sure we've got a great contestant lined up for you that is almost certainly still on the Blues. Coming up next, we'll (laughs) hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Is now is your chance. It's the final time to do so here on BK and Ferrario this week to score a pick, pair of tickets to see Guns and Roses on September 9th at Bush Stadium. Tickets for Guns and Roses on sale now, or you could just text in at 314-399-9646 with the code word that I'm about to give you. You can find all of the ticket info and bonus chance to win 
uh, tickets for Guns N' Roses live at Bush Stadium right now at 101ESPN.com or on the free 101 ESPN app. Or again, you can text 314-399-9646. And what you need to have in that text message is the sport that I specifically, or we really as a team, called out Kerry Davis to play against us. <clears throat> what was that sport? If you can name that in your text message, you are texture number 101. You are going home with a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses at Bush Stadium on September 9th. Alex, before we get out of here today, final thing as we wrap things up, we finished where we started, and that's with Jordan Walker. And really, all of the Cardinals performing at an incredibly high level so far throughout spring training. We've seen Dylan Carlson pick things up offensively. Jordan Walker is tearing the cover off of the baseball. Both Gorman and Donovan have been very good so far throughout spring training. I put this on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk. If you want to check it out, uh, you can follow me on like Randy Carricker. And I put together like a mock week of what the lineup would look like for the Cardinals. And the way that I was able to do this, like you could get essentially every significant player that we're looking at at least four days in the lineup while also maintaining a couple of off days for many of them. So like Contreras, Goldie, Donovan, Gorman, Edmund, Arenado, Carlson, O'Neill, Newt Bar, Walker, Yepes. You can make it work with all of those guys making the roster and having significant playing time. And I think that's something that when we ask the question of like, who's the odd man out? Who's the fourth outfielder? It could be as simple as they all end up playing a lot. And there is no, like, everyday lineup, but they find a way to make it work. I'm really getting to the point where I'm starting to feel like on the offensive side of things, the roster's looking a lot more in pen to me than what it was a couple of weeks ago to where I'm starting to be convinced that these guys are going to be on the roster no matter what because they'll find playing time like you just mentioned. Jordan Walker's the one that I'm getting to the point where it's like, look, you can't keep the kid down. And as much as I think that it's a competition, when you hit Garrett Cole and turn a 97 mile an hour fastball, the other way to get on base, it's hard to deny that. So if that's the case where you can get the playing time for these guys and you're getting the at bats and the defense holds up, the roster might already be in shape for people. And the questions are going to come more on the pitching side than the position player side, because everybody else is kind of accounted for. And we talked about this. I think it was yesterday. If I remember correctly, with Ali Marmol, you're able to do this, and that's what makes this great, is that unlike managers in the past, you would have three designated outfielders, and they would be getting six of the seven starts, yep. and there wouldn't be really any moving around of them, and you wouldn't see like Nolan Gorman go from second to third to DH. So I, I think when you look at the fact that they're able to do this and the offense is performing like it has, you feel really good about it, not just because now it's not, oh, man, we have to get rid of somebody. I can't believe we got to send a guy that's been on fire in spring. No, I trust Ali Barmol's going to do his due diligence, do his research, kind of probably has a graph like what BK tweeted out, and it's something similar of, okay, here's how we're going to figure out how we're going to go through this week and figure out who's getting this playing time, and it's going to be pretty balanced unless someone goes cold, and then he'll take them out of the lineup. And the other thing that we've got to keep in mind is this is what it looks like in the first week or two, and then the results start dictating who gets the playing time. Like early on, the first, maybe it's the first month of the season. He basically schedules it out the way that I did, right? And you say, okay, every day we're, or of the course of this seven days, we're going to play six games. And in those six games, most of you guys are going to get four starts. It's kind of the way that he doles it out, right? And one of those starts might be at DH, and one of them for like a Brendan Donovan, for example, one of them will be at third base. You'll get a start at DH, and you'll get uh, three starts at second base. 
cool, sounds good. And that's the way that it looks for the first month of the season. And then after that month, they start looking at the results. They look at the underlying numbers and they're like, okay, who are our best players? You're going to get the majority of the playing time now. Maybe you get an extra game a week. And that other guy that is no longer performing either gets one game less or they send him down to AAA to recycle somebody else. Maybe at that point, Alec Burleson is hitting really well down in AAA. He comes up to the big league club. They've got options. And that's the nice thing. And I do think that the manager gives them an advantage when they have so many options offensively. But for all of the talk about this guy is going to be the one that is left out or you've got to choose Walker or Carlson, I think the truth is they're just going to have four outfielders that play a lot this year. And maybe none of them are like everyday players batting second in your lineup, no matter who the pitcher is. But all four of them are really good and they end up utilizing them to the greatest degree because you have a manager that's able to do that now. I I think that's where I've kind of landed as long as all of them continue to perform like this. That's the prerequisite for all of it. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. You'll hear Alex tonight. Pre-game coverage for Blues versus Sharks starts at 6 o'clock right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Alex Ferrario, maybe. BK, no. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.